Welcome to Scott and Paul's Family Podcast. Hello. I'm glad you're here, as always, my good friend and co-host, Paul Brown. Hello. I'm here to talk about some WCW that we actually decided to watch of our own volition and not had to watch. It's good ish. Yeah, it's decent. Ah, it's decent. We'll get into more into that. There is there is some matches on it that are kind of shite, mm-hmm. but we'll get into that, like you say. Yeah, but we'll come back to that. Before that, something we didn't really get to do that much of. Last couple of episodes is just to chat. Paul, how are you and yourself? I am fine in myself, man. <laughs> fine in myself. You know, I have I have the newest additions to my wrestling collection. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell the good people about that. Oh, a couple of relatively rare-ish mm-hmm. WWF magazines. Mm-hmm. A Hardy's special edition, which is all about the Hardys, as you would probably know. Mm-hmm. And a special edition based on a review of the pay-per-view one night only. Mm-hmm. Well, the hearts are out for revenge against Shawn Michaels and Triple H. I do see the, the covers of the hearts declare war on Michaels. Yeah. They fairly fucking lost that one, didn't uh, they? Yes. <laughs> Big time. I am happy to be here with you because it's been a very stressful week for me. But, yeah. but... Now, now there is there is no worry. There is no lockdown. We're finally able to be in the home of friends or well, it's not that family. there's no lockdown. It's just more eased. No, well, we still legally have to wear masks and yeah, and shit. yeah, and well, which, which I have been doing, which as annoyed as I am to see other people not doing it. Like I say, I I am guilty. I I generally, if I'm walking around, I don't have a mask on a lot of the time now. But where it's required, like. Mm. If you're going into the shops or if you're going on a bus or something, when it's required, I'd stick to the rules. Yeah, when I'm coming up here, when I'm, uh, when I'm required to get public transport and shit like that, that's when I work. Because like you know, yeah. so many other people getting on and off, you never know where they're coming from, who they've been in contact yeah. with, and all well, that. Like I say, I, I find it very irritating and very annoying. I'm like, I'd, when you're out and you've got your mask on, you're wearing it properly over the nose, blah blah blah, and some people have it on like. Just over on lips or something like you know you mm-hmm. you have to cover your whole face. No, because now it's just basically covering the chin. Like there's no yeah. danger in catching it via the chin. I seen I seen a guy on the bus this morning. He was on the bus, had his mask on, seen someone he knew, mm-hmm. and then pulled the mask down to chit chat to him. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, she can hear you through it. You know. <laughs> One annoying thing though is, is at the same time I've been having to go and wear masks, except for today. It's been rather. Colder yeah, today, yeah. which is a nice change. But it's been very warm and see, uh, very warm that we're not used to 
you're in Scotland. Yeah. So walking about with that and then breathing in the mask, it did not help cool you down in any way. Oh, no. If anything, no. it just makes things worse. It does. Mm-hmm. But it was a bit stressful because my brother uh, officially moved into a new house in Lennox Town yeah. with his girlfriend. So over Monday and Tuesday the past week, I had to go up and like help out with a lot of heavy lifting and shit like that. Well, I was knackered. While moving. All loading shit into vans. And on the Tuesday, my brother came over because uh, his girlfriend's dad hired a van that day because yeah. there was a lot more bigger stuff to be had, like fridge freezers and Whatnot. tumble dryers and shit. But uh, he came over to get us because uh, my dad dismantled my brother's uh, single bed. Oh. Because now they've got a double bed for their room, but they dismantled the single bed because they were going to then set it back up again in one of the spare rooms. Yeah. Like if someone's staying over. Because like, if I go over to watch like a pay-per-view, it's easier for me then just to go up into the spare room and stay over and then go back home in the morning because it's a fair bit of length time for where I'm staying now. Yeah. So like, stuff like that. So we were bringing the bed frame and we brought the mattress in as well as a few boxes, mostly closing them. And we, me and brother were obviously told, I, well, I found this out 10 minutes before and I was telling me, I were going in the, me and him were going in the back of the van because at the front of the van was only three spaces. So for, for my, uh, his girlfriend's dad, um, and my mum and dad, so you and brother are, are sitting in the back of this van, nothing, uh, barely anything to hold on to, mostly darkness, only light being of uh, my brother's phone as we're watching shit he's downloaded on Netflix as we're sitting on this mattress. Yeah. Best way to describe it, if you've ever seen the episode, um, I say you as in the people listening, because I know you've seen it, yeah, the New Year's episode of Still Game, you're lying up there like Lord and Lady Muck, we're lying here in the back of this match, just one speed bump, and we're going to tap each other like a couple of old puffy jakeys. <laughs> that is literally what it was like. And first big turn we make, was a box here. Luckily, again, it's only got clothes on it. Big box. First big turn we make, fucking falls on me. <laughs> so is and, it, and, uh... and it didn't help that the, the last few bit before you actually get to where we're meant to be going, Involves quite a few turns to make, so the last wee stretches, whoa. And then I forgot just how dark it was because then my dad pulls the thing back down and just the light shining like, ah, my eyes, my eyes. Sorry, you were going to say. No, I was going to say, um, so how your brother and his girlfriend got, is that like their first house together? Are they renting it or something? I think they're renting it, I can't remember. Yeah. Because I know they were, he was mostly, he'd almost pretty much moved into where she was living because he was yeah. spending enough time there. Now they're going to use it's properly like theirs because the place they were staying originally was very small and very not to the best condition. Yeah. But it's a lovely house because, uh, the long story, but a lot, the people who owned it originally left a lot of stuff there, so it's still in nice, nice condition. Aye, they had to get off the order new stuff, like new beds, new couches, and shit yeah. like that. And, but even now, they've got a con- we keep taking the piss of it. He's got a conservatory. Oh, he's got a conservatory. conservatory. Ooh. <laughs> La-dee-da. <laughs> I know, I keep taking the piss out of that. But... Ooh, you and your conservatory. Mm. But like, mm. now I've got this whole, back in my house, I've got this whole room now in my cell, and there's so much space now, <laughs> and I'm now in the process of like redoing it. Yeah. So I've got all that stuff, and I'm just waiting for my new, like, my new double bed to come. And I remember my mum like, was talking about the bed that they were getting, like they were getting a king size and I'm yeah. just getting a regular double and I'm like, well Scott doesn't really need a king size and I went, well nobody really needs a king size when you think about it, they just like to have one so you know, <laughs> let's not get immediately discount this idea but I, bet, I, I think I've been shot down on the king size idea. Yeah. 
But going going from a single bed to a double bed is always mm-hmm. a good thing. Just, just starfishing it, just laying yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> like ah, I can I can lie across it. I can I can lie lengthways. I can lie diagonally. Also, I also might be getting a, a wee foot on for the room as well. Cool. Yeah, because I know you've got one. Yeah. I don't know what kind of one I'm getting. Just gonna get there. I might get a wee small light table for like in the middle, so I can sit in my sit on the, if I'm doing like a skateboard, I sit on the futon, put the yeah. thing on. The, I like I, the futon. I've got some good plans for that room. <laughs> Maybe one day you can come over to mine, if you can make it, and we can record via my house. Yes. My, my new room with the big bed and the futon. Yes, that would be cool. I hope they won't be as squeaky as your fucking bed is. We're recording this now. Ah, oh, shush. <laughs> shush. Uh, is that all you can really say? Shush. That's all I have. So yeah, so moving and going through shit is can be very personal because you realise just how much shit you have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and then you realise what you haven't seen Bulletproof Monk yet. Oh, enough of this shit. <laughs> Before we started recording, I met, Paul asked me about a movie called Bulletproof Monk, which I'd never heard of until he'd mentioned it. And now he's he is giving me shit for not watching it. In a, in a very light-hearted fashion, though. Not a light-hearted fashion. Your exact reaction was "fuck off" <laughs> when I said it. When I said I hadn't watched it, I'll, I'll grant you, I was a little shocked. A little bit. <laughs> he says that now that we're recording, trying to act all casual, like have you heard how we actually reacted when I told him? <laughs> I'll admit my reaction was a little strong, but still, I think it was warranted. I don't think it was. Especially <laughs> now that I looked at the DVD cover of it, it did very little to convince me that this is something I'm really missing out on. That's because it's such a good movie. It does not need a fancy cover to show off. Hmm. The movie does its own convincing. Hmm. But oh, that's really all I have to talk about. Like In terms of my week and what's been going on with me, anything else you want to talk about going with you before we get into the, the actual wrestling? Oh no, I don't think so. I I did. Uh, my boy did give me a loan of his GTA Five. How nice of him! So I'll be able to play that later. Mm-hmm. I I have misplaced my copy. Right. Somewhere. But I will play it later. I'm going to start the game from from the very beginning again. Your life is a ball of fire, isn't it? I know. I know. <laughs> I sit, I randomly watch crap on YouTube, I borrow my son's games to play. You watch Bulletproof Monk? (laughs) Hey, (laughs) You leave Bulletproof Monk out of this. You're the one who brought Bulletproof Monk into this. Don't you mock it. I will mock you. But I want to follow on from from last week when we were, we had the hardship of having to watch Starkey 2000. Yeah. And uh, add some things about that show I want to talk about. First off, I want to talk about the buy I said that it was around uh, 50,000 buys, I said, yeah. I believe. Which would be a 0.11 buy rate, I believe. Uh, I rechecked the sources in some other places. It seems like the as accurate as I can get from like what I can see, because from where other places I've checked, I haven't seen anything that says any difference, so I believe that's the actual accurate buy rate. But I was able to find, having checked multiple places, the Armageddon 2000 buy rate. Now, as I said, 50,000 buys for Starcade. WCW's WrestleMania and all that. Yeah. Armageddon. By all accounts, a B review. You know, it's between Survivor Series and the Rumble, you know. Yeah. But it's got the big six-man hell in a cell main event. 
465,000 buys for Armageddon 2000. Wow. Mm-hmm. So 50,462,000. Not, not, not even half yeah. the amount of buys that, that Armageddon got. Did Starcade get? Yeah. And weirdly, looking at the pay-per-views that happened after us, Sin, the, the, the January pay-per-view, somewhere got around about 80,000, so it went up. Yeah. And then down to 2070 for the February pay-per-view, and the final ever pay-per-view went back to 50, so like, maybe some people thought, new year, new WCW, <laughs> so like 30,000 more people bought the pay-per-view. So basically, Lane, if you look at the buy rates of the last, <laughs> like, three, four WCW pay-per-views... <laughs> It didn't even come up to half the amount that Armageddon 2000 got. I think you could maybe, if you had to do the, I can't do the quick math in my head, but like, even doing like the last three pay-per-views of the month, yeah, you add them all together. Yeah. I really think they make up the number that Armageddon oh. got. But also, I, I managed to stumble upon this because I was looking at the star ratings for a quiz I'm doing for Rogue Opinions. instead yeah. of a round I'm doing for that. But then I thought to myself, well, one year, because the site that I was using... Says that all the one all the star ratings are courtesy of the ones that were given by Dave Meltzer, the wrestling and several. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, all right, I'll type in Starcade two thousand to this website. Let's see what star ratings Mister Meltzer gave <laughs> this pay for you. Oh, do tell. Some of them I think fairly accurate. Some of them a bit nicer than I think they than they deserved. Yeah. So let me let me see what you think. I didn't bother looking up the star ratings by the way for Bash to the Beach ninety six because. Well, I don't think there was need to, but because obviously Starcade is so bad, I want to see just yeah, how yeah. Mr. Meltzer rated it. Maybe maybe you could, maybe the ratings for that is something we could hit upon next show. Maybe. Uh, let's see. The ladder match, are, uh, no surprise, got the best rating yeah. with uh, four stars. The opening ladder match probably would have been, uh, would have got the full five if the Young Dragons hadn't been so botchy. Yeah, I, I thought it was a good match. Like... Apart from the Young Dragons and the concept. <laughs> yeah, that probably burnt down as well. So this is all a five. So four stars. Uh, Landstorm versus uh, Ernest Cat Miller got one and three quarter stars. And rightly so. Two and three quarter stars for the uh, the hardcore title. So it's a deep, fun match. I don't think I would score it that, that much higher. So yeah, they get a fair yeah. rating, I think. A dud rating for Chronic versus Vito and Reno. So yeah, yeah fair enough. I would give it minus five, but you know, dud, I'll take that. The ambulance match got a one star. Who was that between again? Uh, Bam Bam and Mike Awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. The US tail match got three quarters of a star. So that was that bad, it could even get one full star. Who was that? Uh, General Rection versus uh, Shane Douglas. Oh, yeah, General Rection. Yeah, that was... I, I actually think <sighs> this, this rating is actually the one I disagree with more in terms of I think it's too harsh. Yeah, what the, would you have given that one? Uh, no, not that one. I'm talking about this next one. I'm going to read. Oh, to, right, right. I'm talking about the, uh, the six man, the six man time match, the Harris Brothers and Jeff Jarrett versus the Filthy Animals. I think for what it was, all the gimmicks they had, it was slightly more fun than I think it, it's got credit for because it's only got a star and a half. Yeah. I'd maybe give it in the same rating that, uh, that the hardcore match maybe got. Maybe, maybe even give it like two stars. Mm. Something like that. Uh, something else, I was also surprised that. Second best rated match on the card, three and three and a quarter stars, uh, to the tag title match. Yeah. The DP and Nash versus uh, Natural Born Fellows. So, I was fairly surprised with that rating. Aye. I thought I thought that would be one that was harsh on. Uh, Goldberg v Luger got two stars. 
even even that I think is a bit too kind. Yeah. And the world title main event got two and a half stars. Who was that again? Uh, Sid versus Scott Steiner. See, you've already tried to expel it out yeah, of your mind. Yeah. And I, I sadly have got it sized in there somewhere. Honestly, when we finished that, it was a case of right, that's done. Mm-hmm. And the only the only positives I took from it was the first match, mm-hmm. and the fact that I got to see Sid in a title match. <laughs> Even though he was in that long tights, which you didn't really appreciate. Yeah, I thought it was different. Mm-hmm. I thought it was different. But looking at Bash at the Beach in '96, as we'll get into, is obviously a very important uh, moment in WCW's history, and also you got the tape for it recently. I did. I was most stoked with that. I was worried, I thought, because the whole point was this look, look back when WCW was just like starting to, event, to really get good. And I was worried I would hate this pay per view and I would basically would blow up my face, but no. For the most part, there was a lot, I think, to enjoy about this, because, yeah. like, all of people think it was a one moment or one match show with the main event, also the big reveal and everything. Yeah, do but, you I know, don't, but I don't think that's the case. That's partly why, not just because of my collection, because it's such an important pay-per-view and to have in your wrestling collection. Of course. I always, I always wonder, right, can it just be all about the NWO formation? Mm-hmm. You know, it was, People have got to have liked this pay per view for more than just that one fucking moment. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it was a solid enough pay per view. It was. And I'm going to get some background to WCW about how it was at the time, like I did for last. Yeah, yeah. The last pay per view. We're in this thing, they're doing a bit better. They're not at the heights they would be in their peak when they're beating Raw on that. Yeah. But 95, the year before this, is about the first year that WCW, a while under Turner, really made a profit and didn't lose money. Yeah. They like, actually made a profit that year. And Eric Bischoff has credited a lot for that, and he talked about how after they started making a profit is when they stopped kind of always being the, the redhead stepchild of Turner Broadcasting and all these executives who didn't want yeah. wrestling. He said, and then we got so big that we were a bit late in 1999, he had people who said who'd never watched wrestling before telling me how what they think should be done with our wrestling show. Mm. So, you know, they were really starting to turn, but then that would really affect them negatively. Uh, also, Hogan came in yeah. in 94. And he was doing decent, like, money-wise. Aye. Uh, so, so much so that he'd made a profit, but, like, still, it was basically being turned into a Hulk Hogan show. Basically, it was just it was just the same Hogan for WWF. You know, yeah. yet red and yellow, positive guy. Mm-hmm. First match he, he, he had, he came in, then he went back to the beach in 94. So, it's the third edition of Bash to the Beach, the first one being the one where Hogan came in. So, yeah. Hogan plays a big part in most of these Bash to the Beach pay-per-views. <laughs> and... This especially the beach thing is basically a rebranding of a period they've been doing around this time previously in the years before, which had been called Beach Blast. Yeah. And they changed it to Bash at the Beach. So, like, 94, Hogan's <laughs> debut, 95. I, I rented a couple of Beach Blast tapes from the video store when I was younger. Any good? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, 95, Bash at the Beach, he, deb- he main events with in a cage match against uh, Vader, yeah. which would also be footage to be used in the WCW crossover episode of Baywatch that yeah. Logan was in. 96, obviously, we'll get into it. Lots of, um, lots of uh, surfer-look sting and <laughs> the Beach Blast ones. Yeah, in 97, 98, I believe, at the time where he'd be main event along with teaming with uh, Dennis Rodman. Yeah. And obviously, Bash the Beach, there, I talked about with the infamous moment where it'd be the whole last appearance of Hulk Hogan in WCW after the workshop angle with... Uh, with Russo. With Vince Russo, yeah. yeah. So, obviously, Hogan, he'd, had, he'd been working with Vader a lot, or he'd been working with people who he was comfortable with, i.e. pals of his, who had also worked in WWF. Mm-hmm. 
The Zodiac. Yeah. <laughs> or the Butcher, as you'd be also another name of his. Yeah. Many, uh, many, many names of Ed Leslie. Mm-hmm. So he basically worked a couple of movies in a row with Flair, then started working with likes of Leslie, and then he got into a multiple month programme with Vader, and eventually beat Vader. And uh, I listened to a, a podcast, uh, one of Eric Bischoff's ones, 83 Weeks, and I might mention that podcast once or twice, because it's good to get some insight from Bischoff himself. Yeah. And uh, the main event of Super Bowl Five, which is the subject of the podcast I was listening to, uh, was the first meeting between Hogan and... And Vader and that ended in okay, no non-finished till the uncensored the following month and mm. it, was a, it all culminated at that bash to the beach. So they worked across mobile babies him and Vader and they, they were asking uh, Conrad Thompson, his co-host asked him, was there any consideration having Vader win the title from Hogan and like take the have Hogan chase the belt? Because Hogan had had the belt basically since he came in. Yeah. Eric Bischoff really said no and he said when it came to back to politics with Vader it wasn't about I should go over. It should be about just basically how much money am I making. Yeah. So Vader would lose to someone as long as it helped him. Like Aramay, and he said that in his mind he felt that Vader probably jumped at the chance to work with Hogan because he knew if he did a good job with Hogan, they drew good money and they could put on good matches together. When it came time him to negotiate his contract, he was in a prime position to ask for more money if he felt he deserved it. Yeah. Which is. True, but sadly Vader would leave later in '95. Yeah. After he uh, get into a backstage fight with Paul Orndorff, <laughs> who apparently, even though one he's he had one good arm because of an injury and was wearing flip flops, Orndorff apparently kicked his ass. <laughs> and uh, which is a shame because Vader actually appears in the the video opening package where the first few episodes of Nature of Spain never appeared in. Yeah. And allegedly there was a plan for Vader even actually win the WCW title on the second ever episode God. to create this whole or lie anything can happen on WCW Nitro. <sighs> And that, that's definitely a show we could hit upon in the future. Hmm. Vader, mm-hmm. retrospective, because I think there's a, well, a lot of companies there's a lot of failed opportunity with Vader. I think we'll be talking about Vader a lot in the coming months when we when we get probably back into the the ninety six part of uh, the in your house series. Yeah, yeah. Where about his debut and uh, the thing with Michaels, and I think when I was listening to that, I don't think Hogan was really bent to the idea of chasing the belt. Not because obviously he's Hogan and he doesn't want to lose, but yeah. I've heard I think it was from Prospector or something like that that he said that the reason they had in the WF all like like so Bruno and Bob Backlund and Hogan having such a long baby faced runs with the title. Yeah. Was because the New York kinda of northeast market that they ran back in the territory days wasn't like all the other territories where yeah. where you'd like see the likes of Flair or Heel Champion holding it for ages having the face chase it for ages. They were a market that didn't like seeing heels win. They liked seeing their heroes win. Yeah. So basically, the he- the faces had long reigns before a big shocking heel victory, which always incited big heat reactions. Yeah. But also, when the heels won, the heels wouldn't hold on to it for long before a new baby face came along. Yeah. So Hogan wasn't used to having to chase the belt because like, even his longest period, I think, without the belt was probably around. Like when Macho Man won it, he was always still hanging around. Yeah, still like <laughs> always hanging around. Was or like looking. when he lost the belt to Warrior, he he actually went away for a while, like to film something in one of his movies. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which one, and then he he'd come back and wouldn't be long before he was in the title scene again. He and always, he always, especially in the case of Warrior, mm-hmm. he always had that kind of look mm-hmm. when he came back, as if to say, "Tell you, I." Because Bret Hart even says, I think it's in his book, but. Literally, he says that he overheard Hogan backstage after Mania 6. Like, literally, after he's already dropped the belt. Yeah. Warrior's not had a chance to 
prove himself as champion yet. But he heard, overheard Hogan saying to somebody, just you wait, that guy will feel invincible begging me to come back. That happened though. Mm. But then again, you always... Oh, no, but you don't, really, you don't really say that, like no. the ego on Hogan. But you also have to take a lot of the things in Bret Hart's book with a pinch of salt. I know, but like, given Hogan's history, I think that's one of the things you like... You know he you, you wouldn't take ego. it. You wouldn't take it as, with as much salt as you would with some of the other things you would take. A, a smaller handful than you would <laughs> some other things. Yeah. But yeah, that also Nitro's a thing. It's, Nitro for the first few weeks did well and then I think up until this point it's basically been back and forth, back and forth, trading victories over the weeks. Yeah. Uh, but the events of the, the ending of this pay-per-view will be what kickstarts that big long it's 80 big plus war. weeks. Yeah. 80 plus week, yeah. Because technically the war's happened but it's, mean, it's more, more so a, a friendly so far. Because no, like, well I say a friendly... Pretty sure they've already done the Medusa angle by now and they've been yeah. reading the results, but like it hasn't gotten as hot as it would eventually get. The rumblings had started like just before this event though, because we had the outsiders come in, mm-hmm. you know, like Scott Hall come in, and then there was a wee refute wee desist mm-hmm. note for WWF. because they were acting like they were acting like Razor and Diesel. because like 'cause eventually they do I haven't called them Hall and Nash because a big part of it but it's also to be differentiate from WWE was obviously one of the reasons Nitro was live. Yeah. And then they he felt he felt like WWE didn't have much international appeal when they're yeah. there and they're wrestlers, so that's why he brought in a lot of the Mexicans and the Japanese wrestlers. Yeah, he really did push the whole cruiserweight and luchador thing. Mm-hmm. And obviously another thing was guys were cartooning over the top, so he wanted some of his characters to be more realistic, which mm. is why they went by their real names. Yeah. But when, especially when uh, Hall came in at first, mm-hmm. when he first came in, you could definitely tell that was still Razor. because you hear Scott Hall talk. And he's his, still his, putting on that. His, his real voice is nothing like the Razor Ramon voice yeah, that's always yeah. put on. Even, he gets a, gets a chance to cut a brief promo on this show, and he's still using that voice. I'm pretty sure yeah. it would be the last time he'd use that voice. Which is one of the things where, when Bischoff has talked about on his podcast about the idea of like the re screwing Bret Hart, so he wouldn't bring the title on his show. Bischoff said, like, because of, like, the season of Cecil with the National Hall thing and the Medusa incident, Yeah, he said, even if I wanted to have Brett on the show with the bill, I, legally, I would not be in a position to do so because I would already I was already on thin ice after these previous incidents Yeah, that I wouldn't have gotten away with it. Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't so, have got away with it a third time. Yeah. So, obviously, I was basically being watched now carefully. Don't fucking try your luck, Bischoff. <laughs> don't want be doing that. Aye. So basically, Bischoff even said, like, yeah, they were worried about us doing something that we weren't even going to do. <laughs> or even couldn't even done if we wanted to. Bischoff sitting there going, oh, man, you're just paranoid, man. Chill. But, but before the show, Hogan, like, Bischoff had put, pitched the idea of Hogan turning heel. Mm. Oh, well, like, I think since, like, late 95, because, like, while it did, it did a good bit of business, the publicity of getting Hogan in. Yeah. Basically because they were doing tapings in MGM Studios, which is near Disney, so a lot of families... The ideal market for Hulk Hogan's big red and yellow thing. Yeah. So he eventually like said like he really knew like this is already kind of played out. And he tried to get Hogan to turn heel, and Hogan wasn't having any of it. And like because they do a story when he's in the midst of his feud with the Dungeon of Doom. Yeah. Uh, Hogan, where he's dressing all black and he his mustache gets shaved off by the heels, and he teases having to go to the dark side in order to win. Like that was meant to set up in case Hogan eventually agreed to the heel turn, but. In the end, he just they did a big review where he'd ripped the black off and the red and yellows underneath, and Hulkamania and all that shit. 
Yeah. And another thing, Hogan hold up, held on to the WCW title uh, from his debut at Bash of the Beach, which I believe is in July of 94, to October 95 at Halloween Havoc, where he loses to the debuting giant, also known as The Big Show, who's on the show, and yeah. I'll, I'll probably will refer to him as The Big Show multiple times instead of The Giant, because it's just forced to have it. But, like... Do you know... Big Show or the Giant, people will know who you're talking about. For like 15 months almost like, of reign. And then I'll, I'll talk about what I've been having with the world title since then. Yeah. When we get to who's holding the belt on this show. But uh, like 15 months of Hogan won, which I'm pretty sure is the longest WCW title reign ever. Yeah. And also, guess who has the second longest WCW title reign what ever? Do tell? Hulk Hogan. Wow. Yay. I but, am so, so, so shocked. I am shocked and appalled. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically a bit quick summary. Obviously, we talked about oh, oh, Ashton Holof came in. I'll do the Bulletproof Monk reaction. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's get to it, shall we? Yes. July 7th, 1996. Independence Day is thrilling audiences at the box office. A young Kriangle is getting ready to represent his country in the Olympics. I hadn't yet turned 12. And somewhere in Glasgow, a Veronica and Dave McLeod are getting ready to welcome their second son into the world, i.e. me. Obviously, the most important factor. One in September, Paul, this is July. I know, I was just checking. I was only a few months away from 12. Ah. But, October. But obviously, as you can tell, my, my, my impending birth is more important than all those facts. No, I'm sure I got some cool shit for my 12th birthday. <laughs> anyway, July 7th, 1996, from the Ocean Centre in Daytona Beach, Florida. 8,300 8, in attendance. I believe, if I checked, this is around eight, between eight and 9,000 capacity for this venue. So was... Well, well this, well, there are different rooms... Different sections of this building, so I did quickly. I did make sure I double check. Yeah. I was in the right domain, but particularly this particular one, they are pretty much near capacity. No, I was about to say, was it near enough full capacity? For yeah, unlike event? unlike uh, Starcade, where it was barely near capacity. Yeah, uh, this is very much near. Although a big thing that they talk about in WCW on the uh, eighty-three weeks, there is rumours that quite a few of these people did not pay. I think there only only around six thousand people actually paid to get in. The rest, the, the, rest, aye, the rest are probably comps to uh, fill the arena. Yeah. Which especially I talked about being an issue was before the hot period of the where anybody would pay in advance. Yeah, yeah. When people had to get... I said, when you started papering, you get like those last few hundred or last few thousand in, that became an issue because then, yeah, eventually when you came back to them after a few days of doing that, you then ended up papering more people than you actually had people paying because people started to realise that I don't need to pay money in advance to get these tickets. Because the day of, I can get a free ticket. Yeah. So it gets harder when people know they can get something for free to convince them to pay for it. Also at the start, you recall that it was done at Universal Studios and stuff like yeah. that. People coming to tour the facility and blah, blah, blah. Some of those people could quite easily have bought tickets for the wrestling because it was at Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Plus a lot of the fans were very much like tourists when they get in there and apparently allegedly... Being in a studio, there was a sign to tell you when to cheer and when to boo, according to Mick Foley's book. Yeah. So, like, he does a bit wrestling matches and getting reactions. Like, it was pretty, he said it was pretty hard to tell if they were just doing a good job or they were just doing what this, the big flashy sign told them to do. Yeah. Like, the filming schedule, by the way, at these and these tapes, was like Saturday Night or WCW Pro or whatever you call them, mm. was so out of sync. 
because like McFoley recalls, he was he and Kevin Sullivan were set in '93, I think it was, to win mm-hmm. the tag titles from uh, the Nasty Boys. Yeah, and also uh, the thing, I think, there's been a tape show. They were taping a bunch of things in advance, so they're taping up to the pay per view. They also taped some stuff that was going to happen after the pay per view. So then he sees a promo being filmed between Paul Roma and uh, Mister Wonderful. Yeah, they were as a team, and they were filming a promo talking about how they'd beaten Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan for the tag titles. So technically, in the in the continuity of the filming, the guys had technically lost the titles before they even won them, <laughs> because they had already taken the thing of the guys who already said they'd beaten them. Yeah, because Ho- Foley was on his way out anyway, so he was just basically having to fill in one, and a few weeks later dropped them to yeah. Roma and Orndorf. But like just seeing the taping schedule being so out of, <laughs> or like there would be things where people would be filmed. They would tape things at you know, at these studios where people would be filmed losing their titles before they'd actually won them. So, oh, it'd be confusing enough if you're an actual fan. If you're just a casual, yeah, maybe at Disney that day and wandered into the wrestling, you're going to have a fucking clue what's going on. <laughs> so, take a quick drink before I get properly into it. Of your, your lovely monster energy. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if this is better or worse, the uh, the tagline for this as compared to the last, last WCW show we did. Go on. This is no day at the beach. Catch the big one. Yeah. What's the big one? I think just the, this is no day at the beach. That would have been fine. You cut your losses there. Because well, I would assume to... the big one refers to a wave. Mm-hmm. Possibly. <laughs> what I do like about this is, and Bishop did talk about it as well, like part of the reason of uh, doing multiple, like doing the same pay-per-view in the same venue year mm. after year for a couple of years, and uh, the sets... Is making each favorite you feel special something that WWE's complete a bit not doing nowadays with the sets, mm. where you see like you think Halloween Havoc, the big pumpkin and all that, <laughs> and uh, Bash to the Beach got this particular set, the whole beach, yeah, like yeah, the, 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 yeah. the lifeguard stand, the wee ramp, the surfboards and all that, yeah. So it had a particular theme that they stuck to and made it stand out from other pay per views. So yeah, mm-hmm. and the commentators are Tony Schiavone. Dusty Rhodes and Bobby Heenan, who uh, so they really sell you at the start of this. The two, of them, the three of them, talk about the the severity of the big match at the end. Yeah, that they're referring to as the hostile takeover match. Yep, and we get, we get some good, we get some really good skits for Mean Gene throughout this thing. Yeah, too. trying to ascertain who the identity of the third man. Yeah, and also the run thread of a. Uh, Bischoff got taken out the previous month's review, uh, Great American Bash, and talk about how he's not been seen. He's usually like on the pre-show thing, like as yeah. the main like host of it, but no one's seen him. And they're all worried like have the outsiders taken him out and all that. Mm. And considering Bischoff and month, a few months later is revealed as the man behind the NWO, yeah. and looking back on it, it makes sense to start the NWO why he's mysteriously isn't there. Yeah, yeah. You know, it all comes full circle. Yeah, <laughs> it comes full circle. Uh, they, they have got up like Bobby Heenan and Dusty Rhodes the severity of it and the future of WCW is on the line and all that and yeah. I thought like Bobby, Bobby Heenan's looking good in this opening bit and then he completely undermines himself in the first match with some of the shit jokes he's coming out with <laughs> but uh, there were some matches taped before the actual start of the show yeah. where you had a dark match of Jim Powers defeating uh, Hugh Morris who's later going to be General Erection oh and uh, you had a thing where for the pre-show they would tape shows sometimes before a pay-per-view 
for one of the two shows, a WCW main event. Yeah. And some really interesting matches, like some really big like WCW players in these matches. Like, you had the Steiner Brothers getting a DQ win and a tag title match over the then WCW tag team champions Harlem Heat. Mm. You had uh, Bobby Walker, who I, I don't think I've ever heard of, defeating <laughs> uh, Billy Kidman. Yeah. You had uh, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibbs in the Rock and Roll Express defeating Fire and Ice, the team of uh, Ice Train and Scott Norton. Yeah, and this is out of all, and this sounds like the match that should be on should have been on the actual movie itself more. The last match, Eddie Guerrero defeats Lord Stephen Regal, ah. future William Regal. Like especially, there's one match that I think I really don't think should have been on the show. There's a match I'm going to talk about later on. I think should have been swapped around order wise with the Eddie Guerrero, Guerrero Stephen Regal match because I think it would have been a better <laughs> spot on the pay per view. I'll well, get to that. Probably. I would have been happy for seeing Steven Regal, but I would have been upset with having to watch Eddie Guerrero. I know, that's your progress, but uh, 0.71 buy rate of 250,000 buys, so still a, a decent pay review, but the numbers are definitely going to go up in the year, year, the two years or so after this, yeah. especially with the big culmination. And honestly, I think this is not too bad for Dusty at this point, because obviously the intrigue of the insiders and who this third man is... Yeah, is really helping to like cause some interest and people want to be able to tune and see what's yeah, going everyone, happen. everyone going like who is who is it there's even I think when we get through the show mm-hmm. remind me if I'm wrong but there's even rumour that some of the team you know Sting and Luger and that mm-hmm. like are you in League of League people and you're like no <laughs> you know like we're all solid and shit man also the, uh, the very dated opening graphic of the, the shark fin yeah, I liked it, man. I and then also, like, when the, people's graphic comes up, you see the V Shark fin just flying back underneath <laughs> the name. Also, I had to look up this is the actual theme song the the show. I'll put it. I'll put it at the start of this podcast. Yeah. The whole generic. Because also you're watching the VHS thing, so you you would have known better. But like to me, watching it on the network. Yeah. They use the same music in the uh, the recap package. For the main event recap, basically everything that's happened since the Outsiders debuted. Yeah. Honestly, there's no words over it. It just shows nobody talks in the promo. You just see the footage and the music's over it. Mm. But to me, the music just loops so much that to me, it just sounded like, did they have other music and they just couldn't get their exit so they just pop this generic stuff over it? And I looked up. No, this is the actual music. Yeah. <laughs> this is the actual stuff that they used. It looks so much like you talk about it looking kind of cheap and such. Mm. There's something really quite special about watching that on a VHS. <laughs> you know, it's like listening to a vinyl, and I'm that kind of person with a vinyl when you hear the cracks and the little things on a vinyl, you're like, yeah, that's vintage, man. <laughs> Same yeah. thing with a tape. When you're watching a VHS with really old shitty graphics on it, classic. So, <laughs> also, they talk, one last thing they talk about it, the commentators is like the atmosphere backstage, mm. the whole thing. Everybody's fired up for the to defend WCW and find out who yeah. this third man is. And we're they're joined by Mike Tenay for the first match because it's a a cruiserweight match. It yeah. is Rey Mysterio Junior versus Psychosis. That was a good match. Yeah, this match here. Talk about how even in the dying days of WCW, the cruiserweights could still put on a great opener. Yeah, this cruiserweight match is phenomenal. Yeah. Because Rey Mysterio only debuted a month beforehand at the Great it's American like, Bash. He's so young in this match. And, and that's when, like, the shape he's in here is very similar, kind of, to the shape he was in when he returned at Rumble 2018, mm. which was so bizarre to see how he got himself back in such good shape when he, yeah, yeah. Cause when he left in 2014. He was, he, he was he, so fat. Yeah. 
So like, I think when he went away and hit ward that part time schedule, he managed yeah. to like tone himself really up again. Tony, so. Only twenty one years old. Yeah, is Rey Mysterio, and I'm, I knew he was in twenty twenty one because I'd read his book and he talked about how he getting signed to CWC yeah. so young because obviously he started in his teenage. Psychosis was pretty young too, was he? Yeah, twenty five according yeah. to Mike Tony. But so because I remember he was like fourteen or that. He was at least fourteen when he started training because a lot of guys in Mexico start young. in their teen years. Yeah. So Ray's already a veteran and he's only twenty one years old technically. <laughs> yeah. And these but guys, it's the match snaps, you know. And they've wrestled in Mexico, D- Japan, and even ECW. These two, yeah. obviously, WCW don't mention the ECW matches, but they mention the, w- the Mexico matches. So yeah. you got to think these guys probably didn't even plan in most of the stuff. They probably thought we've done this so many times, let's just go out yeah, there. Yeah, that's what I mean. The match itself, just like every move, is just like boom, boom, boom. It's and so well put together. And credit to Mike Tenay for this because. He's even explaining the, the history and the significance of the mask and Lucha Libre. Yeah. And basically helping people, like, because some people may not have seen this before, so, like, if you're tuning in, this is your first time ever watching Yeah, so you're really, really getting people, like, yeah. bought into the whole you're history. Wonder, you're wondering why should I wear this? Well, Mike Tenay's here to tell you why. Yeah, he's like, this is why this is great. Mike Tenay's so good at his job with these matches. It's the same he's only ever usually around for the opening matches, because that's when the cruiserweights are out. Yeah. I want him to stick around for the whole yeah. show. <laughs> you want that kind of guy to get you invested in the show? Because I really like Mike Tenay as a, as a commentator, especially in his, his TNA run. Yeah. But uh, Eric Bischoff, having worked with him a while in, in TNA, Bischoff said he wasn't as fond of Mike Tenay's TNA commentary as he was. Of his WCW Because uh, like, he was, Mike Tenay was so used at, at first to being this role of being the Play by play, just calling moves that happen and giving you the background. Yeah. Whereas he said he didn't feel like Mike was was suited to the role, basically now being the lead man, which he had to be. Yeah. And team, especially at first with Don West, because Don West, as I said, a lot of his reactions were genuine because he'd never seen moves like that because he wasn't yeah. of a wrestling background, so he so he had to take most of the lead. Yeah. Well, I don't think he had to do it as much with Taz because Taz, obviously, yeah, a wrestler himself, he knows. We all have guys got like excitement as well as mm-hmm. try. To, Call the shots, call the plays. Yeah. And it starts off, actually, weirdly, not as you expect, very technical. You, you see them hope walking in, like, surf bow and arrows and, like, yeah. arm bars. It's kind of showing off that Lucha Libre isn't just, like, flips and shit. Yeah. And, like, the reaction that the crowd get, because we were talking very highly this match just watching it, the crowd are very into it, and you can tell why, because this is 96, so they've probably never seen anything yeah. like this. This is just setting the groundwork for the style of wrestling that will come in the Indies and years later that yeah. they were so used to. Psychosis fucking does a dive over the top and fucking hurts himself I think, more than Ray because he hits his <laughs> head off the power yeah, gate. Yeah, I didn't look like he cleared enough here because Psychosis is a tall fucker because Ray Pseudo's never been the biggest guy. No. He looks like a, a child next to Psychosis <laughs> size-wise. And he does use that to his advantage because there's a bit there are periods where he's dominating Ray and keeping him down. Yeah. Anyways... I remember when they had their series of matches in uh, in, in ECW. Yeah. We talked about how the different environment and getting to like the freedom that ECW realism because obviously there's no rules and all that. Yeah. And like the idea, like Paul Heyman reflects on the Reed coming up to him and said, "Hey, uh, Paul, can I nervously ask him like, can we use like a, a table in our match?" And like, yeah, man, of course you can do whatever you want. Because <laughs> I've watched like I've re- I've seen them do normal matches in ECW. They also did a a Mexican uh, death match. Yeah. Basically, like you pin them, and then there was a count, like kind of a mix of a hardcore match and a last man standing. And like after the first like count, when somebody got up, the commentator then also did the count in like Spanish as well. Yeah. And uh, because obviously, in ECW, he says, known for doing the oh my god. 
I don't know how they did it, but like the crowd, this Philly crowd learned how to learn what Oh My God was in Spanish, <laughs> and during a really psychosis match would chant that, yeah. whatever the Spanish was, I can't, I can't remember what it is, but uh, <laughs> that shows just how much the fans loved them. And and Joey Styles would do it as well, so maybe they'd watched it back on the tapes and remembered it. Yeah. Because obviously they were very die-hard fans. Oh, hell yeah. Because like, I mentioned these two matches because some of them at the spots, like, like Ghost is lifting the way on his back and then running him, starting first into the corner. Yeah. That, that spot I've recognised them doing from an ECW match. <laughs> and uh, there's a giant pole, by the way, that's going to come and play in the next match, which is just there during the opening match. But it does yeah. play a spot in here because... Psychosis falls Ray out to the apron and Ray turns the tide because Psychosis has been on offense for the bit before this. Yeah. But Ray kind of launches him right into this pole <laughs> and to the outside. And they talk about obviously the Frankenstein originally made, invented by Scott Steiner. Mm. But now they talk about how the variations of it that Ray Mysterio's been using. He uses like three different versions of this. Yeah. Like, one he does, he dies off and then does the Hurricane Runner. One he springs off the ropes and does the Hurricane Runner to Psychosis send him off, flying off the yeah. apron. And you got to think, I watched this match, I was even forgetting to even take notes. I had to rewind and then note. Because <laughs> you're just you're enjoying the match. Yeah. Sometimes during a bad match, I'll just like have only one eye on and be taking notes just to get through it. But good matches, I'll, I'll, I'll get so into them. You get, get drawn into the match and just watching. And I felt bad for people having to follow this because I remember apparently Scott Hall came up to, I believe it was Jericho, yeah. complaining in 97 at one point by, he was annoyed that the Cruiserweights did so much in their matches because they made it difficult for everybody else. But, like, doing like, sorry, we're just doing know, our job. Do you know, that's so it's, not, it's not our fault you guys can't follow it. That's one of the many reasons why WCW eventually went to the fucking wall. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you're going to be a good company and you're going to really push your fucking company as a like, supreme wrestling product, you don't mm-hmm. go to your Cruiserweights who put on stellar fucking matches and say, Oh, Gunnin will be so good. We'll know as good as you. Okay, I should mention, they mentioned like, they big up Rey Mysterio because he made his debut at the Great American Bash and I think he won the title from Dean Malenko but then quickly lost it back on yeah. Nitro. So obviously they made this big, big impact on his debut. It shows the faith they had in Rey and we would yeah. have like, more Cruiserweight title opportunities later on. But like they're really putting over Rey Mysterio yeah. like, as a talent. And fucking Bobby Heenan's constantly making fucking... Crap jokes. I didn't even know any of them doing because they were that yeah, bad. Yeah. I forgot them because, like, ah, uh, this is uh, Bobby Heaton, not his best. Because <laughs> he would get better in some of the other matches, but, like. His pattern is pretty shite mm-hmm. in this one. I was more in tune to, like, Tony Schiavone. Yeah. And, like, uh, there's a bit, I think it's really, it does, like, yes, a kind of a corkscrew insult spot. Yeah. And uh, Tony gives it, it's actually another corkscrew, I say, insult. Mm. And, uh, Bobby Heenan's all confused because he's never these are words he's never heard of before and he's like <laughs> he's just so confused. Yeah. Uh, fun fact uh, I learned this also from Mike Dineen also Michael Coley Asai means so named after Ultimo Dragon whose real name is Asai. Uh-huh. The more you know. Fun fact. Yeah. Every day is school day. <laughs> every but, every day is a new school day on the Scott and Paul show. <laughs> but uh, recent day Psychosis uh, as a cent or not. Yeah. Yeah, so luckily there's these blue pads down to help because <laughs> he was far otherwise he's, he was going arse first in the fucking concrete which would have been very very so uh, I just, I've just been knocking down spot after spot because there's just so much <laughs> stuff but I'll go into the finish before because I think I've fanboyed enough of this but, yeah I think so but uh, I, I understand it I mean, a spot so good and so like unlike anything they've ever seen they had to get Conan in his interview post this to explain to them again what the finish was 
where I think it's called the water slide he was going to do. Basically, it looked like a version of the Razor's Edge and he had like a power bomb. Yeah. It's like, oh, so we're going for it. He had him up on the second rope and re it into a top rope her, uh, Frankensteiner yeah. and roll him into the pin for the win. So Raymond Steele gets the win in 50 minutes, 18. I could have watched this all day. <laughs> I love this match. Yeah, it was phenomenal. <laughs> I, take it, I take it from when you first stuck the pay-per-view on. Mm-hmm. That opening match wasn't where you, what you were expecting, I assume. I didn't know. I didn't really know many of the other matches. I knew like, I knew they were probably going to open with a cruiser match because most people used that, and I seen that. I'm like, oh, I know what. I think I know what to expect because these guys have worked to each other so much. And I've seen some of the ECW yeah. stuff, and then I watched this, and I was still blown away by it. <laughs> it's a phenomenally good match. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Uh, Conan's backstage. He's the reigning US champion. He's also the uh, the Triple H champion. Yep. And uh, oh, also, they should mention. There was a Triple A show clearly the night before because Conan, Psychosis, and Mysterio all worked that show, and then flew straight here to get a if, show. If this is the match that you're about to go into, the Conan versus Ric Flair match, I'm not. I'm not going in the match. You're just talking about the match. Oh, I know, I know. I just, I didn't enjoy this match. Really? No, I mean I thought it was a good match. I just, I think we might vary on our opinions of this match because. Uh, he he's referred to weirdly not just as the Triple H champion because also they don't know about the Mexican wrestling they call him yeah. he's the US and the Mexican heavyweight champion <laughs> he's just a champion for the entirety of Mexico yes like so obviously all three they mention in the Ray and Psychos match that they give them credit for having wrestled the night before in Mexico and then having yeah. to fly here to make the pay-per-view and then still put it on such a great show but uh, Conan also he, I think he worked a lot in behind the scenes in Mexico yeah. the Triple H so he played a lot of role in getting guys like Ray and Psychos and a lot of the guys in the Cruiserweight division even hired into WCW. Yeah. Because he worked with the Bischoff and tell him, like, he, he, he's the guys you, you want to bring in. These are the guys who will put on the best performances. Yeah, well, if you wanted somebody to give you a good shout in America, mm-hmm. go to Conan. Yeah, because Conan had already like, been in WCW for a while. Cause, so you had him in Mexico. Uh, Bischoff had a guy, Sonny Ono, who he'd, he'd, he'd known since his days competing in martial arts tournaments. Mm. That, who had the connections in Japan to bring the Japanese guys in, so Aye. Bischoff had the connections. Aye. So he was basically talking about his match with Flair, and he knows Flair's got the four horsemen, and uh, he basically warns anybody, any one of Flair's goons, basically, don't get involved, because you're going to get your ass kicked if you do. Mm. And uh, I'm not saying this in one of the matches, I'm not saying they're bad necessarily, they're not good, but I think you can definitely see, because we know what this, the ending of this page is going to lead to, Yeah, I think this is a mix of this maybe is a mix of what WCW will become and what it used to be. Because mm. like, the graduate stuff we just seen is a, a sort of what's to come and the good stuff that WCW is going to produce. This is still hints of the old Southern wrestling WCW that mm. Bishop was trying to get away from. Yeah. As it is, what's on here? Where is it? I've got the actual thing. It is uh, John Tenter, the former Earthquake, versus Big Bubba Rogers, former Big Boss Man. Yep. A silver dollar pole match. Yep. There's a, a, a comically long pole, by the way. Now, no way they were going to reach that because they said, oh, they need to claim the pole. Have you seen these guys? Yeah. They're at least £300 each. Maybe 350 closer to four in John Tenta's case. Closer. I mean, yeah. Because I heard he, he legit did used to sumo wrestle, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so, like, it's way too high for them to get. Basically, it's a big sock filled with silver dollar coins, basically, so you can whack your opponent in the head with. Yeah. I think the big thing about this is the Dungeon of Doom is still hanging about and John Tento joined WCW. Well, he originally joined Kevin Sullivan and Ed Lizzie in the Three Faces of Fear. Yeah. 
Was, he was called was a, a shark at this no, point. No, when he first joined, he was called Avalanche. Oh yeah, basically no, 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 no. a way of calling him Earthquake, but not calling him Earthquake. But they had to stop that anyway. Yeah, and then the Dungeon of Doom formed. So when Ed Leslie became went from the Butcher to Zodiac, he went from Avalanche to the Shark. Wow. And uh, now he's just John Tenta because now he's free, and Bubba Rogers is now a part of the <laughs> part of the Dungeon of Doom. So basically, now that's containing the issue of John Tenta leaving them and. Yeah. Weirdly, John Tenta, his hair is shorter, and I realised that I think there was an angle where Bubba Rogers shaved his head. Yeah. And the thing is, he's got party hair on one side, but it's oddly uneven on the other side. Like, so yeah, he, like he shaved his head, but he didn't like fully shave his like, head. Would nobody have a word with, with John Tenta and say, John, your thing's a bit uneven, maybe just shave the other part just to even <laughs> it. Because like, when Big Show got his head shaved an angle with a uh, angle back in 04, they only shaved part about his head. And then Big Show went up for next week. He said he shaved the rest of it to remind himself of what Kurt Angle did to him and give him motivation going into their match. Yeah. So that made sense. Yeah. That was in a fucking weird time in 2004 <laughs> that I only realised how weird it was looking back on it because I was a kid at the time. Wasn't that weird? It was a bit. <laughs> this is the same year Kane and Matt Hardy had a match where the winner got to marry Lita. Wow. The first and only till death do us part match. <laughs> also, quite sad. <coughs> only pay per view match came one that year. Yeah. Which huh. is sad as a Kane fan. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on for my weird tangent. <laughs> this is. What's the word? Shape. Yeah. Because <laughs> at first they don't even acknowledge the pole is there. They just do a bit of a brawl over in the side before realising, oh, I object is go get that thing. Because I'm like, can they. Is it against the rules to pin their opponent? before you even go up and get the polls, because you just ignore what's on the pole. Yeah. And also, a big complaint against the ideas of Vince Russo is he was so into the this thing on a pole. Mm. And I was just, like, so blown. I didn't know how to do it. I said, like, there's a match in WCW. Something's on a pole. But, but Vince Russo is even in the company at this point. <laughs> I don't even think he's properly in WWE creative at this point. No. I think he's still a magazine writer at this stage. I think, and we're a few months away from properly getting into the like, creative, because I'm pretty sure he was involved around the time of Pillman's Got a Gun. Not mm. saying it was his idea, but I'm pretty sure he was around he at the time. He had his hands in that his one. His grimy wee fingers in it. Yeah. I should mention also Jimmy Hart is out here as the, the manager yeah. of Big Bubba Rogers. Editating <laughs> little dick. Whenever there's a show with more than one appearance of uh, Jimmy Hart, uh, when they're covering it for 83 weeks, Bishop will just pass off as, why was Jim, when asked, why was Jimmy Hart back out here? Because there was a camera with a light on it. <laughs> so Jimmy had to be in front of it. I mean, legendary manager and all that kind of shit, but don't you find them just a teeny bit of an irritating little dickhead? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, I, I, I've, I've fittingly put this, put this match in my notes as plodding. That's yeah. Because very early on, it's not gone, it doesn't go very long. And very quickly into it, there's a bit where John Taylor's like down and he's getting back up. He already looks fucked. Yeah. And he's not that old, by the way. He was in his 40s when he died. I know, I know. When he was in his thing with Hogan, he was around 25, 26, back in the WWE. Yeah. So he has to be around, what, 30-odd here? And he, maybe, uh, it's probably had to do with his weight, probably, that's slowing probably. him down. Probably. Like, Jesus. Because his, his former tag partner, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, Typhoon. Typhoon. I, what was his name again? Like Fred Ottman. Fred Ottman. He actually always looked... I mean, he was a big guy, but he always looked healthier yeah. mm-hmm. when Earthquake. Yeah, you know? so, uh, there's a bit where he eventually realised, oh, aye, 
there's a thing up there. So they try, it's basically a rinse repeat spot for a couple of minutes where yeah. one of them goes to climb. The other one gets them a, where, there's climb. one where Bubba ah. Rogers uh, hits a back body drop onto Tenta as he goes up. The thing's too high, so I don't, I didn't realise this was an option in a pole match, but John Tenta decides to undo like the, the things holding up the pole so he can lower down and get to it. Yeah. But he's, he's stopped by Rogers. Rogers ties him to the, the ropes. He uses his belt as a weapon. Yeah. And uh, he tries to sh- get the scissors out. He sh- cut his hair. But uh, John Tender low blows him and gets the scissors mm. to cut himself free and then uses them to then try and lower the pole. And he uh, gets cut off again. <laughs> and then so, well, Rogers is a smart thing. He tells Jimmy Hart, get up the pole. Aye. Put some on his shoulders. Yep. Fucking Jimmy Hart hanging there like the cat in that hang in there meme. <laughs> and he gets it. And uh, what he doesn't know is his back's to the ring. So he doesn't see that Bubba Rogers maintained him with a slam. So he's got the thing and he's all excited. Oh, I can't. I can't. And Turns then it's a slow turn around to see. He doesn't realise that John Ted is waiting for him. Mm. He just shoves him and he's dangling there on the pole. <laughs> grabs the sock for the dollars. Smacks Bubba Rogers thing and mercifully ends. Finishes in, this so-called match. In nine minutes, 14. Felt longer. Yeah. Mindfully, it was, you can say it was short, but... It didn't feel so short. You know, to go from the match we watched, right, mm-hmm. to that match... Mm-hmm. It's such a come down, isn't <sighs> it? Yeah, it's, it's such a come down. But, like, yeah. <laughs> like I said, it's still very old school down too, because, like, they're sitting around a sock for, like, like, dollars that was then used in the finish. So I'm glad that it factored mm-hmm. in the finish, because if it didn't, then it would the whole match would have been pointless. But, yeah. like... But, like I say, you get, you get Rey Mysterio and Psychosis... <laughs> Getting you on the edge of your seat. Of course. And you're like, you know, like, who's winning this shit? This is so awesome. And then you get John Tenta. John Tenta would go back to the WF two years later. Did you know who he would, what role he would play? He was a giant Golga. He was Golga, yes, who'd come out in his mask and his yeah. Cartman doll. I knew that. I know you knew that. I just didn't know if the people knew that. I knew that because, unlike, I would assume, many people, <laughs> I really did enjoy the oddities. They were fun. I remember the first time I found out that was him under there. With his Cartman doll? I know, I was so shocked. <laughs> Try to think, it's just, was it, if I was him, would I prefer that to doing this match in WCW? Hmm. Walk around with a Cartman doll and splash people, or do that? Hmm. Hmm. Like, how do you even get to the point where you decide, here's how we'll settle our feud, we'll hang a sock for the silver dollars on a pole. It's too hard for us to reach. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing both of them would end up back in WWF. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously so traumatised from his shit WCW run that Bossman yeah. came back and started killing people's dogs. I was, I was about to say, you, we did talk negatively a lot about John Tenta in this, but we can't we mm-hmm. can't allow Big Bubba to get off of the Isler. Mm-hmm. He was just as shit. Now, he'd been in WCW original back, I think, in the NWA days as well before. Uh, going back to WCW, went to WWE, but like yeah. I remember, he was like a heavy for Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express. Yeah, and the best story I think I heard of him in that time is from Cornette, where apparently he was getting their bags out of the car. He was like, obviously they're keeping Kefi making him look like the heavy, watching their their back, you know, like because they were all heels. Yeah, and their fans around, and somebody caught Big Bubba's hand, and like the car door as he was getting the bag. And like, hey, hey, like, oh, sorry. And like, also, usually when you catch your don't like, you'd be screaming like, ah, my fucking horn. But Bubba like had no reaction. <laughs> and then like, he lifted the thing, and then they went inside. 
And as soon as the door closed and they're into the night, Bubba's on his knee like, ah, my fucking hand. <laughs> and all that, he's always screaming in agony and like, why didn't you say anything outside? Well, there are fans out there, I didn't want to. Because his whole thing is he's a heavy, he didn't really show much emotion or much pain. Yeah. He was going to be like the enforcer. So he didn't want to be in front of all the fans and go, ah, my hand. Because <laughs> in the South, it was still real of them, damn it. Yeah. Uh, we get an interview with the face team for our main event. Yep. Because things on the team, everybody has to wear face paint, apparently. Yeah, apparently. And uh, another weird thing, Lex Luger is apparently the TV champion. Where's yeah. your belt? Where is his belt? I know. You apparently, you run it on a recent uh, Saturday night, a month or so before this. You lose it on an August episode of Saturday night to Lord Stephen Regal. Ah. So, you know. And uh, not really much is accomplished in this match. Basically, they don't know who the third man is, but they're going to be ready anyway. Yeah. There's not really much else to say. Macho Man just shoots... Repeats what other people say. Just <laughs> off in the corner, he's men- mental. Yeah, good old macho. Now, this match was probably just as bad as the the first one, but thankfully it's much shorter. What's this one? It is the taped fist match. Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Diamond Dallas Page. Oh, yeah. That match is shit. For the Lord of the Ring uh, ring. <laughs> because Diamond Dallas Page won a th- match at Slambury. He was a battle bowl. We run the Battle Royal and he got the Lord of the Ring. Yeah. And for some reason, Jim Duggan wants it. Okay. Yeah. We get we get to see Jim Duggan mm-hmm. backstage before this one, I'm sure. Do we? I, d- I didn't see it on the network. Maybe in a, it was an exclusive on your, your VHS. What happened? Well, he was backstage with uh, Team Canada or some kind of thing. That was, that was, that was Starcade you're thinking of, you nupty. All right. God damn. You're getting your wires crossed. I'm getting my wires crossed while he's... Bogus man, back in the room during 96, during that decent period for WCW. I know, I know. I'm confused, man. <laughs> you know. Anyway. We've done so much WCW was bad. It's hard to pick the good out sometimes. What, you mean one? <laughs> yeah. That was enough. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's a fist. Like, uh, you're... Both men have the wrist tape in their fist because yeah. apparently it protects your fist but hurts the other guy more. Yes. I, I don't. How did they find that out? I don't know. But DDP, he's out here. He's not very much the DDP that we would later know. He was, he's a heel here and he's only a few months away from probably becoming like good guy DDP in WCW. Yeah. And uh, that would come when he was one of the first guys to refuse a place in the NWO. Mm. And it's a good end because they offer him a shot. He puts it on. I think it's like Nat. He shakes hands with Scott Hall, and while Nash is back, turns like he, as Nash goes to pull away, then he pulls him back in. Diamond Cutter, <laughs> and then the crowd fucking pops yeah. because they started doing a thing where they wanted to make the Diamond Cutter move that few people kicked out of. So that led to big reaction on the Diamond Cutter because it meant uh, people knew like that's it, that's the finish. Like that's it. it ends here. That was basically especially if you're a stunner. Especially if you're a fan of DDP because you know he said that move that nobody kicks out. You realize, yeah, DDP's gonna win. Yeah. So, but DDP is a heel here. But DDP, who was born in America, mm-hmm. gets distracted by the USA chance. <laughs> as if it's all, as if he's being put off. Like, again, yes, I know you're chanting, you're back to the face and all that, but why are you chanting USA in a match between two Americans? I, I, just, I just don't get it. Yeah. Well, uh, because if you don't chant that, Hacksaw Jim Duggan doesn't know what to do. Like, Duggan does get to, gets, like, uh, Used wrist, uh, DDP uses wrist tape to tape Hacksaw's legs to the post yeah. and then while Murphy's trying to untie him he gets in and starts punching him in the face <laughs> and there was a lot 
a punches in this match, also you'd expect because it's a bit re- uh, taped up fists. Yeah. Something I noticed midway through the match, I was watching it, like, I looked at Logan's fist. No tape. He started mm. the match with tape, and then suddenly he didn't have tape. Like, And I think I might have missed the point where it happened because these, the commentators wouldn't notice it and they comment on it, but I think they claim it's when uh, when he was tied to the ropes, when he was tied to like, the post, they claim that DB took off uh, Duggan's foot tape. Yeah. I'm still learning my fucking words. When he was tied DDP to the post... removed Duggan's hand tape. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I don't remember seeing I don't know why you would do that, but also, I'm sure being a taped fist match, you the rules are your fist must be taped at all times. So why the referee does not admonish, like, Duggan to try like cause a, a bit of a break so he can retape the fist? It makes no sense. I know. But, uh... DP comically oversells Duggan's offence here, by the way. <laughs> like, there's a pot where he's in between the ropes where he gets yeah. punched, he swings back, oh, swings back, punch again, swing back, oh, or gets knocked over the ropes and comically flies away, oh. That's kind of like Hogan versus Michaels level comical selling. Not not quite to that extent, but it's <laughs> it's in the, on the spectrum. I'll yeah. say it's on the spectrum. But anyway, he gets knocked to the outside, Duggan rolls him back in the ring, but as Duggan sets the ropes, DDP kicks the ropes, so right in the gullies. Mm. And then gets him in a decent, but not the best-looking diamond cutter. And uh, gets the win, thankfully, in a short 5.39. But, Duggan, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> because, again, the move that is still, it's pretty over at this point, but it's going to get become one of the most over moves in WCW. Hmm. And give you a move that no few people kick out of and the crowd pots for. DP hits the diamond car. One, two, three. And then as DP's getting his hand raised, you can already see Duggan crawling his way back to his feet, grabbing, and then he grabs some wrist tape, puts it up, and then just punches DDP and tacks the matter of the match. You know, the baby face. Yeah. So, Dun Duggan pretty much no sold the diamond car immediately after the three count. Yeah. So he could get up and get his heat back with the, the post match fist punching. I know why after the match is it so important for you to retake your fist when you spent half the match with no fit with no tape. <laughs> oh, fuck off, Duggan. <laughs> at least he, he lost somewhat I'm not saying say cleanly, but at least he lost the because I remember watching OSW and seeing a lot of uh Hacksaw's uh, WF days. Mm. You you don't realise just how few clean wins or, or finishes Hacksaw was involved in because he was involved in so many brawl to the back. Count out or double DQ. You mm. very rarely lost cleanly to Duggan, and being such a good guy, you don't expect that. Then you notice it like, Jesus, I right? he didn't actually lose cleanly. Rarely for anybody. I think one of the few times he's lost cleanly was maybe here. I'm pretty sure he Vader beat him for the US title at Starcade the mm. previous uh, two years previous. So you know, there you know two clean losses in Duggan's entire career that I can think of. <laughs> it's still it's not a good thing, and people moan about Hogan. Very true. Although, I should mention also, Tenta, I don't want to say Bobby Rogers because I think he's got a history with the company. Uh, Tenta and Duggan, two big men who got their job in WCW mainly because of Hogan. And we'll see more people who got their job because of Hogan coming up. Mm. But like, you can just, I'm just, I'll just keep an account like, got a job because he's Hogan's pal. Oh, actually, three, we'll add Jimmy Hart to that as well. Just put a little text next to it. Hogan's mate, Hogan's mate, Hogan's mate. Don't know why you're here. Hogan's mate's mate. Hogan's sister's auntie's pal. <laughs> Hogan's sister's auntie's doctor's neighbour. Hogan's wee cousin Stevie. <laughs> His brother Frankie. 
Anyway. Hogan's wee pal, Davey, that brings him good olds. Anyway, we're backstage with uh, Jimmy Hart, uh, the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan, and the WCW champion, the Giant. Yeah. And they're getting ready for a match later on against uh, Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit of the Four Horsemen. Mm. And basically, Kevin Sullivan talks about how he's going to shoot him, because originally he's just been called Taskmaster, all supernatural and creepy, and all that, the dungeon yeah. had him. But now they're acknowledging him as Kevin Sullivan and saying that he's, he's from Florida, where they are, and he's like, so I've got the whole time advantage, and he's claiming he is not the weak link. Mm. And uh, you can still see how very new the giant is to this, to Thing. promos in that, yeah. when you hear his promo. Very, very generic big guy promo <laughs> into, so he put on this deep voice, where he's trying to sound intimidating. <laughs> Same voice that he would use when he was a uh, captain in Sino and the warboy. Honestly, you'd be better off using that same promo. We're going to open a kind of whoop-ass on the four horsemen. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go out, say, out to the, the rampway where another interviewer, I didn't get anything, but he's pretty decent, yeah. is interviewing Anderson and Benoit. Mm. And Anderson basically says, like, he doesn't really care for the faces who are in the main event, but he, like, he has respect for them for sticking up for WCW. And basically says that if there's anything left to the outsiders post-match, yeah, the four horsemen are interested in having a go at them. Mm. And then also they big up their, uh, how they're going to win in the tag match because they basically said the simulation is apparently if the four horsemen win, any member of them, any member of their group, the next night on Nitro will get a title shot at the Giants. So yeah. WCW title is not on the line in the show, which is probably for the best because it probably was going to get overshadowed anyway. Yeah. Because uh, also I mentioned the, uh, the Conan's event has US title. Only that is only one of two title matches. Only two title matches. Yeah. Because like the TV champion is Luger. He's in the main event. Giants in his match. Yeah. And I mentioned the uh, the tag team titles. The tag chance were on the pre taped like dark matches. So you know only two actual titles defended on this show. Mm, I'll say this much about the show. Mm-hmm. As we go through it, mm-hmm. despite how good or bad the matches that come before it are. Uh-huh. Most of the time they are overshadowed by the the main event, you know. That's why I wanted. So it's it's good that we can get this review on it. Like I said, also to sure ensure that it's not really a one match or one moment show. So yeah, a decent promo from the Horsemen. I'll give a bit of backstory. I'll just do it here about the the title and the Horsemen. So the Giant wins the title at Halloween Havoc, but he wins it via DQ. Because of a loophole in the contract. Yeah, I was about to ask, how does he win it by DQ? I don't know, loopholes, I don't know. From but, Hogan, right? Yeah, from Hogan. It's also the debut of the Yeti. Oh, and the big bandages. Hey, they do right. it. He and the Giant do a double bear hug. So, Giant's come in the front, he's <laughs> in the back, but it looks like he's trying to rave Hulk. I was about to say, I watched a, <laughs> a review of, uh, what was it, like, wackiest things that happened in WCW. <laughs> And they mentioned the Yeti basically dry humping Hogan. That's basically what happens. So he comes out, he dry humps Hogan out of the title. And the Yeti, yeti that is basically a mummy. Dry <laughs> and humping the, Hogan. And we're soon be repackaged as Super Giant Ninja by the next pay per view. That's classic. I know. It just sounds <laughs> Super like, Giant Ninja. It just sounds like a, a Japanese anime that. You couldn't properly translate it into English, so it just comes out as Super Giant Ninja Show. (laughs) (laughs) I would watch that, though. uh, (laughs) You would? I would. Because I want to see Super Giant Ninja. (laughs) 
Anyway. Super giant high arm. <laughs> oh, we've got into a weird tangent. We're only, a few, we're only three matches yeah. in. Uh, so, by the next pay-per-view World War, first ever World War Three, sixty man, but Rumble three rings. Yeah. Uh, Randy Savage wins, but Hulk Hogan gets pulled under the ropes, but the referee doesn't see that, so assumes Hogan's been eliminated. So Randy Savage's first WCW title win is overshadowed by Hulk Hogan. And by the way, wow. Hogan was meant to get eliminated cleanly, and rumor has it he changed the finish mid match, mid fucking match. So Savage wins the title, gets overshadowed by Hogan. Main event is Starcade '95, loses the title to Hogan, Ric Flair, Ric Flair, and then wins it back on a, I believe, an episode night show. And then Miss Elizabeth comes to WCW, rejoins them, basically they're rehashing the Mega Powers. Yeah, Hogan kind of tries to steal the spotlight from Savage's second win, but this time Savage kind of calls them out on it. Yeah. Then a uh, Super Brawl in February, I believe. There's uh, two cage matches, Hogan v. The Giant, which may events despite nothing being on the line, mm-hmm. and Hogan right, and Flair versus Savage in a cage for the title. And it's in this match that Flair wins the title back, thanks to Miss Elizabeth turning heel on Randy Savage uh-huh. by passing her shoe into the cage for Flair to use the weapon. <laughs> which really comes full circle with the whole WrestleMania 8 storyline, the she was mine before she was yours yeah. Savage thing. She, pa- she passed her shoe into the cage, her foot must be awfully small. <laughs> No, to open the, the case to her. I don't, I don't have time to get into it. So now Flair has two heel valleys. We'll see Hart, uh, Hart Elizabeth and, and Woman. woman uh, Nancy Sullivan on to, went on to become Nancy the, Benoit. There is a portion mm-hmm. in this pay-per-view which is kind of creepy when you think about what's to come. Yeah. I mean, she was uh, legit in the business before. Like She worked with Sullivan. The, yeah, the, she was the, in the Dungeon Florida of Doom. Tech, Florida, no, I think she was in a different... Kim Sullivan had a lot of different satanic culty gimmicks they all kind of run together like she was also in ECW before I was the manager of the Sandman yeah. oh yeah so she was yeah mm-hmm. uh, so so now he's got two heel valleys and then he won the title and uh, shortly after uncensored uh, a couple months before this on an episode of Nitro he would lose the title back to the Giants so now yeah. the Giant is the champion now the four horsemen also Flair, they reunited at Halloween Havoc 95 this new version mm-hmm. originally it was Flair Anderson, Benoit, and Brian Pillman. Right. So, Flair and Anderson were in a feud, and then Pillman aligned with Anderson, and then Flair convinced Sting to team with him at Halloween Havoc. Mm. And then Sting wrestled most of the match. As soon as he tied to Flair, Flair turned on him, mm. because he's right, Flair. Of course he did. <laughs> and uh, then later on, they added the recently debuted Benoit to move yeah. forward. And then Pillman left as part of the whole loose cannon thing, yeah. and then went to ECW and eventually the WWE. And they brought in Steve Mongo McMichael, a former <laughs> football player who'd been a commentator, and then joins the group, despite yeah. having very little experience. And I'll talk a bit more Big about Mongo. Though. Yeah. I mean, Paul Roma joined the horseman back in, like, 91, and he gets a lot of unfair shit yeah. for his... Um, I think when people talk about the worst member of the horseman, it's between Roma and McMichael. I think McMichael will prove later on when we see him that... Maybe people are a bit too harsh on Roma because yeah, Roma could work. I think so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and didn't Roma have a pretty good tag team with Hercules and WWF? Uh, I don't know, uh, Power and Glory. Yeah, that was Power it. Power and Glory, yeah. But did they not do the whole suplex and then one of them does a splash? Was that not them? I think so. Because I've seen the revival do that. So I'd I think have to note. watch some of those old tapes back because I'm sure Power and Glory are on at least one of them. Because I'm pretty sure like, the revival do like 
like they've been doing their like old WWE fish, but they also did like the Greenbusters old like punk spike pile driver move. Yeah. They've also been doing this the splash and suplex thing, so I think that's also a reference to Power and Go. So they like playing on nice old tag teams, but I was just my toe checking that yeah. was them. Just just to go off on a small tangent here as we do on mm-hmm. occasion, you talk of tag teams. Mm-hmm. A thing I noticed in regards to Impact also. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Crazy Steve is mm-hmm. back in a prominent way in Impact now and he's having altercation with cancer culture. Mm-hmm. Well, in the coming week, it's supposed to be oh, yeah, I heard he's got Crazy like Steve and two partners. Mm-hmm. And in re- because there's so many wrestlers, free agents and things now, yeah. there's so much rumour in regards to who's going to be Crazy Steve's tag partners. Mm-hmm. One of the rumours I'd heard, mm-hmm. the Ascension. That could be interesting. You know? Because they, they would be the closest to his... His like, thing. Yeah. Because, like, uh, they were... I remember there was some indie show. I can't remember what it's called. War, some guy called Warhorse was promoting it. Yeah. And it was a big WrestleMania weekend show. It was going to be one of the first, like, big, like, post-every appearances of the Ascension. I had, like, six-man yeah. match on that show. And I got cancelled. So I felt bad for him when I heard that. So, like, yeah. it would be nice to see them... Get like an actual spotlight post their WWE exit. Yeah. How good they can actually be. One small note again. Uh, was the Horsemen are around, and the uh, the thing with the Dungeon of Doom is the reason they're free is they kind of did this alliance like between the Horsemen and uh, or at least Flair and Anderson yeah. with uh, the Dungeon of Doom as they formed the alliance to end Hulkamania. <laughs> a bit of a wordy type. Just a maybe touch. short. Maybe abbreviate somewhat. Yeah. The anti-Hogan alliance. Yes. There you go. Team fuck Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> Team fuck Hogan. Especially in the Yeti's case. <laughs> so they had a Let's weird, not speak of that They Scott. had a weird occasion, actually, which basically it was Flair, Anderson, Luger joined the team for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sullivan, Meng, the awesome Haku, yeah. the Barbarian, Big Zeus, or Zeke Gangster, as they called him. And a guy, I can't remember, you really got to call him the uh, the final solution. Oh, I yeah, I can't remember yeah. what else, what he ended up being called, who else, who would go on to uh, play Bane in uh, Batman and Robin. Yeah. So basically all of those guys, like eight guys against Hogan, Savage, and no one else. Just those two. I bet all those guys lost. Yes, they did. Wow. You know, and then obviously they're angry at each other for not being able to beat Hogan and Savage. So that then led to the feud between... Yeah. You mean those... Those eight guys or something couldn't beat those two men? No, they couldn't. Wow. Hulk Hogan yeah. must be really powerful and unbeatable. Now, this is a match that was... I think the best way to describe it is a, a car crash. Wow. Because you, you can't look away from it even though you probably should. Yeah. Because we have Public Enemy versus the Nasty Boys in a tag team dog collar match. Because yeah. the one member of Public Enemy is died very dog lover in the neck to one member of the Nasty Boys. And vice, and then the other two is, are tied together as well. Before we get into this, how long does this match last, Scott? Eh, uh, hold on. I'll double check. Wait a minute. 11 minutes, 25. Ah, oh, well, at least it wasn't too long. Yeah, it wasn't that long, but honestly, it was hard for me to catch up because I didn't realise that John, uh, Johnny Grunge and Rocco Rock, or whatever it's called, had the words rock and grunge on the back of their thing to tell who's who. Yeah. So I, it took me a while to realise which member of Public Enemy was who. And I got confused. I was I was always convinced that Jerry Sags had the blonde hair and Brian Knott had the dark hair. Ah. Uh. And then only realised midway through this match that it was the other way around. Yeah. 
So I, I it, was, it was very hard for me to keep track of who's I, who. I knew that much. And again, nasty boys. Now there's, there's another two got their job because Hogan's mates. Yep. And like also they did the like, double like screen thing where you could see where, where one guys went and then the other guys. <laughs> but sometimes the other guys would come near the other two, so you'd see them both on one side and then they'd come in the background of the other one. <laughs> so you're looking in a weird sort of inception kind yeah, of thing. Like, like, what, 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 I can't know what's happening. I can't focus on one screen. I mean, it is funny when they go in the set bit where like, Jesse was reaction like, he's beating with a rubber shark. Losing <laughs> <laughs> surfboards, kicking like, the fake sand over in the set. And yeah. Jesse, there was a funny bit where I think it was Rocco gets pulled off by uh, Sags off the lifeguard stand yeah. but then the gang falls I don't think this is meant to happen it lands in the middle of the chain so both men are caught and have to get the referee to help pull them out <laughs> uh, there's a pile driver in the middle of the rampway yeah that was a rough lane spot I mean for these four guys I think this is more of a brawl than an actual match which is probably more their speed I think so also heard I'm pretty sure the nasty boys got there was a story where they both like ganged up on uh, Ken Shamrock in a fight in a motel, and one of them actually grabbed this really heavy phone and fucking cracked him in the like, head and nearly fucking killed him. Jesus. And then a, a year or so later, he seen them in an airport and tried to kick fuck out of them. Mm. Rightfully so. And I believe it was Sags who left the company in 97 after a, a, a fallout with the uh, the Outsiders because he got hit in the back of the head with something, even though he told the Outsiders like, he had a neck injury. Yeah. And then he thought that they'd used the chair when he hadn't used Scott Hall used the chair when he hadn't. Yeah. And that led to a big argument and Brian Odds would hang around for too long because uh he would just fill out the hardcore division when they brought in that shitty looking hardcore title. Yeah. But obviously, as I said, remember I said uh, that the reason for Pokemon getting heat in the WF is because originally when they before their second run ECW they chose to go to WCW and not WWE. Yeah. This is the run that they're being punished for uh-huh. when they go to WF. <laughs> Because they chose to come here and then go back to ECW and then go to WWE instead of coming to WWE the first time when they were offered. Yeah. Which is why APA kicked fuck out of them. <laughs> that and basically they, they try to get out of like a table spot or something like that. Yeah. So, and that didn't sit right with uh, Big Bradshaw. No, it did sit right with Big Bradshaw. Yeah. As I said, surfboards and that used as, as weapons. Guys get the chain obviously being used as weapons, but like I think the chain was more of a hindrance. Yeah. I think if you just said the tag team falls count anywhere match or whatever. Yeah. Because I think they were going for pins when they were brawling. So the tag team falls count anywhere or a tag team street fight, then fair enough. But I think the dog collar created more problems than anything else. Mm. So like I would have gave I would have been slightly more kinder on this match had it not been for the dog collar. But it it wasn't a shite match though. Not a shite match, it wasn't but just, a shite match. But I think it, it suited the guy's strengths, but like again, it would have been a hell of a lot better without the collars. Oh, yes. Yes, it would have been. Twice they try to put Rocco through a table and it doesn't break. <laughs> One time he's flying off the top and hits the thing and just bounces off it. Yeah. And it just took me back to a time watching the ICW show where there were these tables that wouldn't break and Billy Kirkwood eventually after like the second or third time just keeps yelling, I am table! Because <laughs> <laughs> it just won't break. <laughs> and I don't know if this was the planned finish because it looked weird. Or maybe just because the table wouldn't break, so thought, fuck it, we'll do something else. Because yeah. uh, I think it's Grunge just hanging over the, t- the top, the thing, getting choked with the thing. So, like, the ch- his chain with him and Sags, I think it is, is stretched out. Yeah. So, Rocco gets clotheslined, throat first into that chain, and then pinned. And yeah. that's, that, the Nasty Boys win in 11 minutes. So, I don't know if that was the plan, because it looked 
can't complicate it or if it's did it just look like that because again the chains are causing problems yeah so it could have been kind of thrown together it could have just been <laughs> botchy I don't even know what the, the feud was really between these two because I don't think they explained a lot of it because they were just the commentators themselves were trying to keep up with what was going on yeah I think it might have just been a match thrown together for the sake of a tag match on the pay-per-view but then again you had a tag match you could have had you had the Steiners Harlem Heat on your main event but yeah and not on the pay-per-view like surely if there's two ma- two that should have had something like you think maybe the, the Steiners and Harlem Heat and Eddie Guerrero and yeah well they Regal. at least they would have had another title match to promote very true because like Harlem Heat especially in the same or the last couple of years have been like the team in WC because a lot of their tag title reigns is basically they win them drop it to somebody and eventually win it back from them that's how they got like their 10 tag title reigns yeah. and the Steiners obviously they've been away for it but now they were back and they were also, they were basically the two premier teams of WCW going at it for the tag titles. Yeah. And hopefully, if they'd been on the pay per view, it wouldn't have had the DQ finish that it got on main event. Mm-hmm. It would have had like a proper finish. You know, because this is when Scott Steiner can still move. <laughs> this is when it's I know I don't like. I kind of don't really listen to you when you talk about oh, this person used to have long hair and now they don't. And that. maybe in Scott Steiner's case. Having long hair was the source of his power in his wrestling ability. Because when he cut, you know, when he has the short blondish hair, and he's all jacked up and big power hump, his wrestling ability goes way down. Maybe the mullet was the source of his power. When he had the mullet and the singlet, mm-hmm. and his his Frankensteiners looked competent and didn't always look like they were going to go horribly wrong and or possibly kill his opponent. Well, if he wanted to kill his opponent, he had to do the Steiner weird screwdriver thing, which basically looked like uh, the drill claw mm. that Brian Cage uses. Somehow it would be more dangerous because it's Scott Steiner giving you it. Yeah. And I bet you mullet Scott Steiner would actually put some effort behind the bloody Steiner recliner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. Back to the days when Scott Steiner was a good wrestler. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, so long ago. Yeah. Uh, we have a short thing where Mean Gene is outside the outstairs dressing room. He can't get in. <laughs> there's uh, cops yeah. and security around. I don't know if it's this bar different, but, uh, but uh, there's a point where... Bobby Heen said to, to Bobby Heen, their commentators can talk to me and Gene yeah, and hear them. Bobby and Heen's like, said, well, bribe them. I said, offer the cops some money. To, offer them some money. Oh, no, that's later on, because later on, I'll just talk about this now, yeah, but later yeah, on, yeah. he said he, he was, he's like poking his, his oh, ear yeah, towards yeah, the dressing room door. I, get, I hear a voice. It right, sounds almost familiar. Right, they're teasing you about the third man being there. Like, you say, yeah. like, he, he, he recognises the voice somewhere in the back of his mind, but it's too muffled to make out, so he doesn't know who it is. Yeah. And like, He's like nobody's really seen them, like so nobody else knows who the third man is. So Bobby Heen says to him, bribe the officer, the cops, and get them to tell you they know who the third man is. And he actually goes to do, hey fellas, you said, hey wait a minute, Bobby Heen, you're not gonna get me in trouble. All of missing with, hey, would you yeah. stop? I liked Mean Gene at this in this mm-hmm. sort of wee segment. Mm-hmm. He like before two thousand, when he came out, he was one of the few guys who was probably still. On his game, just as good as he was in the day, as an yeah. interviewer, because yeah. he was so good at what he did to the yeah. big mean gene. He, he knew how to play play along with the wrestler, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, on our another one of our two tight uh, two title matches, mm-hmm. the US title is going to come later. But first off, we have the the cruiserweight title, whereas Dean Malenko, the Ice Man, as he's referred to, uh, defending against Disco Inferno. Yeah. Well, by the way, I, mean, I, mean, I didn't mention uh, before how much I dislike the Nasty Boys, by the way. I've yep. never, never liked them. You never liked never them? Liked, never liked them. And I, had, I believe it was Brian Nods especially, 
I don't like because I'm pretty sure I heard a story where he was at a convention when he heard Macho Man died and basically took the piss out of uh, Macho Man dying. Really? Now he's walking around pretending like clutching his chest because Macho Man had a heart attack at the wheel and what's how he cry. He was like clutching his chest doing a Macho Man voice and laughing his head off, allegedly, from what I heard. If that is true, go fuck yourself, Brian. If, if, it, if it's true, then yeah, fuck you, but... Mm-hmm. And uh, this cool Inferno also known as uh, Glenn Gilberti, his, his real name. Pretty sure he showed up an impact briefly yeah. a couple years ago. But, like, again, not a very very sleazy human being. Pretty sure there was a thing on Twitter of him basically asking people to send him photos of female indie wrestlers or something, or women that they'd seen in indie shows that oh. were trying to attract them. So yeah, a bit of a scumbag. Yeah. I I never knew much about him. I just heard that he was mildly popular in WCW. Has anybody had more? Uh, has anyone else had a face more punchable than Disco Inferno? Because I watched him and I looked at him like, I would not get tired of punching your face. You just have something about you. Aye. That, that is just. Oh. He did seem a bit of a wank. Yes. You had that easily dislikable face. You could. I I don't think they ever did a face run for Disco Inferno because I don't think it would be possible. With just that face. Yeah, but also, mm-hmm. Dean Malenko seemed like a bit of a wank, too. How so? I just looked like one. <laughs> There's a, a story here, uh, is basically they say that I don't think uh, this conferral has been around now, I think he's only a couple months in his WCW mm-hmm. run. This might be his first like, proper marquee pay-per-view match. And basically the idea is this conferral doesn't take him, doesn't take it too seriously because yeah. he's too busy dancing. And that means for the majority of this 12-minute match, he gets his arse handed to him. I've got to be honest, though, I could easily have went and made my tea during this match. I, I enjoyed it. Well, one, because I like seeing Disco Inferno get his arse kicked, but, like, fair do is he gets his arse kicked. He could have easily just, like, got squashed here, but he kept kicking out. Aye. There's actually some react, decent reaction to him getting his comebacks when he actually did get offense in, because people would... It'd be so one-sided that people actually reacted when he got some offense in. Oh, he'll be like, hey. Because like, also the idea of him being, you know, being the ice man is he wasn't the most charismatic, but technically sound he was one of the best. Oh, aye. But like, so the idea basically is, Disco, if you don't take this seriously, Dean Malenko will, will fucking kill you. Kill you. Yeah. <laughs> Dean Malenko will not mess about because he's the champion he wants to retain it too. I'm, I'm relatively sure Disco Inferno won some title in WCW. I, I don't know if he won the creative title. I know he was around that scene for a while. I'm pretty sure he does get a brief TV title run, though. Well, that might have been it. But he doesn't hold on to it for very long, but he gets a, a brain buster very early on, and I thought that was it. They kicked out, and I think Bobby Heenan claims that it's all the product that he puts in his hair that <laughs> cushions the blow for him. That's oh, why he kicked out. Uh, but anyway, he takes over in the barricade, beats him up, he puts him in a bunch of uh, different submission moves because he's always he's the man of a thousand holds. Like He's mm. even got, like, I think he's got like a thousand four on the back of his gear. <laughs> No, he's a thick man of a thousand holds. I said a thousand and four because I was thinking of Jericho's one. Like, I know a thousand and four holds any of the big list. Number 32, arm bar. <laughs> uh, if the, uh, the comeback spots for a disco are very minimal. Mm. Like, he gets very little bit. He, he tries, uh, he carries out one of these submission attempts into a roll up. So you actually think this was going to win the title. Yeah. He tries to come off the top, gets cut off again. And uh, eventually, Malenko gets the win with a tiger driver into, and quickly into the Texas Cloverleaf wrenches back. Disco yeah. quickly taps out. And then I think I'm pretty sure I heard Disco yelling, that's only one hold. Because Malenko is a man of a thousand holds. I was going to say, yeah, a bit one side. I think, given that they were still building the cruiser division, maybe they, they 
they wanted to have the race I post this match, but they realised they didn't have many other people for Malenko at this point because I think they're still developing the division. Yeah. But like they're I think if it wasn't against someone like Disco Inferno, it was somebody who could have had a much more competitive match with Malenko. Mm. It would have been a lot better, I think. But I just enjoyed how dominant because like in a way they were balling at Disco Inferno for taking a lot of punishment, but also made Malenko look like a killer showing off the many different ways he can beat you and all the submission moves and yeah. they really got off like the brain buster and how vicious he can be. I'm pretty sure Malenko in 98 would uh, be part of the Four Horsemen as well. Mm. I think it was him. I think Benoit was involved again. So him, Anderson, Benoit and Malenko along with Flair. Uh, next up, Dave Mongo McMichael along with Queen Deborah, the same Deborah who would go on to uh, marry Steve yeah. Austin uh, against Joe Gomez. Well, I've never heard of. No. And never heard of since. But uh, this is like this definitely should have been swapped out for the uh, the Eddie versus Eddie Steve Regal. No, it was it was an awful match. She's like you got Eddie with all the Libre style and seriously technical te- technical Wolverine Steven Regal. There's a good international like you talk about the international flavor WC where you bring in mm. the Japanese wrestlers and the Lucha Libre wrestlers. There is another example of that. Getting brought in, instead you get this, which is the other match. With, uh, if Disco started getting like some offers in near the end, without that, this would basically his match with Dean could have been a glorified squash. Yeah. But he got enough offense in. This, however, this is the definition of a glorified squash. Yeah. This is why it should be on the event because that's where you do your on your seat. So that's where you do your squash matches, not on your fucking pay per views. <laughs> I think the whole purpose is, oh, we're trying to show the viciousness of uh, Mongo. Since he uh, he joined the Horsemen, this is Mongo's first ever singles match, and his third professional match, ever. Jesus. I think at Great American Bash he teamed with uh, I can't remember his name, but he was a former partner. I think he back to his football. He did a tag match against the Horsemen, turns on that guy at the pay per view, mm-hmm. joins the Horsemen, and then at some point on Nitro he was in an eight man tag. So he had two matches, yeah. and both matches he had people around him to help him out. Now he's in a singles match. He's third in professional match on a pay-per-view. God. And I think this Joe Gomez, I don't think this guy has been wrestling much longer than Mongo because he didn't exactly look the best either. <laughs> and I, th- I think the hope was that this Gomez was a good hand who could help make Mongo look good and defeat by selling for him. Yeah. Didn't really work out. If you want, you had plenty of really ex- experience enhancement talent probably on your books. You could have got someone a lot better to help put over Mongo than this guy. Could have done. Because, also I remember Jeff Jada had a refund of Zoe before he comes back to WWE and then goes away again. Mm. When he came back to WWE in 87, he kind of took a shot at Mongo. Then I had to work with the likes of a football player and uh, and uh, and his wife who gives a whole new meaning to the term dumb blonde. <laughs> Ironically, Deborah would come back to the WF and would have to be the manager of Double J. Yeah. Which is ironic, so I bet he was happy with that. Anyway... At least Deborah wasn't having to talk during the segment because she has one of the most droning voices I've ever heard. Like I remember, she did comment. She did like guest ring announcing for a pay per view once. It was backlash two thousand. My brother pointed this out when she introduces Edge and Christian. She says by the time she announces Christian, she sounds already that she's already bored. Like the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champion Edge and Christian. Like before she even reached the end of the sentence, she's already bored. God. Anyway, Mongo is very much, because he doesn't know many other moves, it's punch in the corner, punch in the corner, it's some kicks, and a tackle, because football. 
Yeah. And there's a spot where Joe Gomez like tries to fight back, he hits like a back elbow mm. and Mongo kind of stumbles and then falls into like the corner. I don't know if he's maybe like he's shaking or Mongo just is so inexperienced he didn't know what to do. So he's like, oh, I'm hurting, oh. Oh, I think I'm selling, probably. (laughs) (laughs) So he back elbow, oh, oh no, oh, I have been fallen. Mongo tries a figure four, which gets countered, but I could tell even in the setup that it probably wouldn't have been a good figure four. Mongo is not, he's not earned the right to lock in having the figure four. Because he's too bad. Like, it's coming to a roll-up attempt. There is a really, really bad sunset flip attempt here. Yeah. It is one of the worst I've ever seen. <laughs> so, is it, would you would you say this match is probably the lowest point on the card? Then? Yeah, because as much as we took the piss out of some of the couple of the other matches, as I said, they were probably a callback to like the wrestling. Yeah. yeah is like, it so, they so kinda good had, old wrestling. So, it was kind of a callback. It was kind of saying what they said what used to be like. Well, this match here is just crap. Yeah. I mean, I think they had good workers. I'm like, DDP is a good worker for the most part in his yeah, match. Yeah. Also, I may mention DDP does a move in his match where he takes Duggan down like via like the the arm, like kind of a like it looks like it's going to be a setup for him to work over Duggan's arm, but now he just moves on to the next bit. And doesn't he get no, yeah. no, so, But so like you got DDP is a good worker in that, but this is just crap. Out of all the matches on the show, this is the worst yeah. I, in my opinion. How long do we have to suffer this noise? Uh, 6 minutes 44 that is how long it was Mongo wins with a tombstone pile driver who yeah. who decided that was going to be his finisher <laughs> where did that come from like what's the what's the one move that this ex footballer who barely knows how a wrist watch from a hat wrist lock as the expression goes yeah well that's what it would be in, the, in training and we've been like what can you do can you do this no can you do why that why don't you just give him a spear yeah because like Goldberg had a football bag, which I think is why he got the spear yeah. when he came in. But they'll be running through things like that. But like, no, you can't do that. What can you do? I can do the tombstone. Like magic. No, the, but the point is, like, oh, the tombstone. Like, yeah, here's the guy who said he's only on his third professional match. He's a former footballer. He's still very. He's green as shit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give him the, as a finisher a move which requires. Nearly trying not to dump someone right on the top of their fucking head. Yeah, one of them that can't were, that can't possibly go wrong. Neither one of them were green as shit. They were just shit. Mm-hmm. Simply, this match was shit. Just, the match was shit. Yes, and fucking fucking a Goldberg Mongo would actually be one of the first proper multiple match feuds for Goldberg. Yeah, they have like a match at Starcade '97. Any good? No. <laughs> because Mongo doesn't get any better. Because Mongo doesn't get any better. Does he ring. not? No. And Goldberg is. It only debuted in what September of ninety seven. So he was still kind of still in the way. early days of his uh, undefeated streak. Yeah, and he wasn't used to wrestling long matches. So I think they go been seven or so minutes, I think. And like Gore wasn't used to long matches, so he was still green. So it's not as if the it's not as if Mongo was a veteran who's going to carry the new kids through a match. No, no. he was a a shit ve- a shit wrestler who's going to drag the new guy down. <laughs> anyway, anywho. Backstage uh, interview now with Flair Woman and Miss Elizabeth. It's nice to see that Mean Gene didn't just suddenly become a pair of in, in 2000. He was always a pair of. Yeah, he was always a pair uh, he's, he's, he's flirting with women so much. He's always flustered. And Ric Flair is doing his usual Mean Gene. <laughs> and he, he's all, all enthusiastic and and says, he basically insists that it's going to be him out of the fourth and it gets the title shot if... Uh, if uh, Chris Benoit and Aaron Anderson win. Yeah. So he's like, I'm going to win the US title and then I'm going to have the world title. 
<laughs> and it's worth pointing out this stage they say Ric Flair is a 13 time world champion mm-hmm. so three every still every 16 title reigns are still to come so yeah we get the Conan versus Ric Flair match now I don't know you you didn't seem too enthusiastic about this to be honest with you compared to a couple of matches we had before this is fucking above all that I'll grant you like I say my my negative wasn't with the quality of the match mm-hmm. not at all just the outcome oh really yeah Right, well, we'll talk about the actual match itself before actually getting to the outcome. Ric Flair does win this match, by the way. I don't, I don't know why, why, but I feel like when he was coming out, I don't know if it's just him just being his usual like Ric Flair cell, yeah. Or did he have it? Did it seemed to you like he had an extra like pep in his step because he clearly knew he was winning. Because yeah. that's what it felt like to me. He was that extra bit over the top that because he, he knew well, he was yeah, winning. He's like, oh, I'm winning a title tonight. <laughs> and also a rare Ric Flair win while he's wearing red. Yeah. Yeah. Like this and Mania 20 in that 3 on 2 handicap match with Evolution are the only two times I can remember Flair winning with the red gear because it's a common thing people pointed out that Flair often, when he was wearing red gear and red boots, usually lost. Yeah. Like uh, his Mania 18 match that we watched uh, against Undertaker. Obviously, I also had to do the fact it was WrestleMania, it was The Undertaker, but. His retirement you know, match at WrestleMania, he was wearing blue. Well, yeah, but I'm saying most of his big league yeah. losses, he was wearing red. So much that people pointed it out. It was a common theme. I don't know if it was a, a conscious thing on Flair's part. But Maybe it's just been a thing. Maybe it's just been a thing. Anyway. So a match starts and Conan actually surprises Flair. I think Flair's all cocky and all that. But yeah. Flair gets a fucking slap from Conan and actually falls to the man. And he actually looks like <laughs> surprised. Like, where did that come from? And to be fair, Flair, he doesn't just walk over Conan because, oh, I'm the veteran and all that. But no. he gives Conan a fair bit. He sells for him. Yeah. And everything, and Flair was actually really good for doing that. No matter who he was in the ring yeah, with, he I, was I really, through the course of this match, I really did feel at points that Conan was going to come away with it. Yeah, because like, and Flair was not afraid of like selling for his opponents. And apparently, during his early days as world champion, apparently he got some flack from uh, some older wrestlers for saying that he was he was giving too much to his opponents, or he was to selling too much for the champion and all that. And, yeah. Like he felt, he felt like the champion shouldn't sell for everybody, and you know, all like that being the guy, but like Flair clearly being a selfless like worker. He's like, well, he, I'll he sell help, for him. Mm-hmm, he wanted to help get the face over yeah. as the heel because he was always going to be like hated as like the top heel usually as he was. See, that just shows how much I mind he's got for the business. Clearly, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I know. Obviously, I, I took the piss of like uh, Dusty when I talk about his commentary, <laughs> but this was the one match I was really impressed with Dusty Rhodes as a commentator. Yeah. Mainly yeah. because he's got the history, well documented history with Ric Flair. Yeah. So he was talking about he, he knows how Flair's mind working. Like, and he was talking about the probably the strategy that Flair was going to try and implement, yeah, and yeah. the things that you had to watch out for when you're in the ring with Ric you Flair. Al- you always have to give Dusty credit. I mean, sometimes if he doesn't really know the match or the ins and outs of what's going on, mm-hmm. he can sound a bit flustered, a bit crazy. <laughs> but if he knows what's coming, he know if he knows something, he's always on point. Definitely. You know? And uh, Bobby Heaney even made a good point, which I was surprised by. Uh, he talked about how Flair is usually the champion. So it's mm. usually a case of he doesn't have to win the match. His opponents have to beat him. Yeah. Because they get the table. But now Flair is in an unfamiliar situation. Now he has to beat Kona and Kona yeah. has had to beat him because Flair wants to be the US champion. And it follows up with a second good point by like, Conan doesn't have to beat Flair because he can retain the title via counter or don't need to like, advantage. But he says like Conan wants to beat Flair 
because he knows what he would do for him going back to Mexico and say, I beat Ric Flair. Yeah, well, I is, beat one of the greatest of all time. What is Flair's classic statement? To be the man to you got. To be the man you got to beat the man. That's pretty much it, yeah. And that is about what he would do because that's the position that Flair has attained even in 96. Yeah. still like... He became Becky Lynch. He is the man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, going and gets a, a surfboard lock-in. He doesn't like, get the full elevation of it. Yeah. still like, wrenching back on Flair. Uh, Flair tries to use Miss Elizabeth as a human shield when Conan tries to jump on him <laughs> and then uh, uses Elizabeth as a distraction while women shakes like the ropes and causes Conan to fall off the top and bloody woman woman doesn't get involved a lot and she screams a fair bit during this I match I know god every, t- every two seconds she's like damn it woman shut up <laughs> and that that could count that could sound condescending but no that was her name her name was damn woman. it woman <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> uh, then also, this allows Flair to do his classic Flair thing, working over the baby. He's like yeah. doing his wee strutting and hitting the bunches <laughs> and all that. That was it. Uh, there's even a low blow spot on point. Yeah. Oh come on! It's a Flair match. Yeah, of course there was. Uh, Flair does do like his classic Flair. Like he does the Flair flop at one point. And then <laughs> I'm surprised that he would do this so often. But even given the fact that he once broke his back in that plane crash, yeah, where he does that spot where he flips over onto the top rope mm. into oh, turn back on into the outside. But they also had to do that spot because like if your back's fucked up, that can be a painful. Like when Sean did that, when his back was fucked, yeah, you, like you see the pain on his face. <laughs> uh, Flair tries to use like the figure four again, another counter similar to like in the Mong match with a roll, but yeah. looked a lot better in this match. <laughs> and then. <laughs> Uh, Conan tries to beat Flair with his own game by locking his own figure four yeah. and uh, Bobby Heenan rightfully shouts out Flair just flip on your stomach do what they always do to you because <laughs> often the classic reversal of figure four is rolling your stomach to reverse the pressure yeah. so like Bobby Heenan rightfully pointed out that Flair should know that if he's got the figure four he should know how to count it by rolling over because yeah. it's basically the, I don't think he invented it but he made it Famous. He made it famous. I, I should have looked up. I'll look up if Ric Flair actually invented it because I doubt he did. Because most people who are famous for moves don't usually invent it. Because like Angle is more famous than Ken Shamrock for the ankle lock, but Angle didn't invent the, the ankle lock. No, when you think of a spine buster, you usually think of Triple H. Well, some people would. Most people think of Anderson. I think it's between the two, yeah. But yeah. Okay, most people of my generation probably think of Triple H, mm-hmm. like straight off. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, locking the figure four, Flair eventually gets to the ropes. And the one thing I don't like about this match, because I thought this is really solid, like Flair, yeah. I think it was always obvious that Flair was going to win. Mm-hmm. Even though, actually, I, I did know that Flair beat Conan at this. I knew he won the US title win this time. Yeah. But even without that, it was obvious that Flair was going to win. But, like, even then, they really helped put Conan over in this yeah, match. I mean, you must admit yourself, if you had gone into it not knowing, you could have been mistaken. Forgiven for thinking, God, Conan might win this. Yeah, but then you know. the one negative I have this match because they make Conan look great, even though he lost. But like the the finish mm. is one big takeaway, negative takeaway I have this because I hate the finish. Flair and Elizabeth distract the ref for far too long. I think Conan was selling too much that he forgot to turn around when he was meant to, or somebody missed their cue. Somebody somewhere. missed their cue because it seemed to take such a long time for the whole thing between him and woman. To... Right, woman was up on the, the apron. She is our like our big like. Like stupid shoot. stiletto heel. With a like heavy heel, which yeah. is meant to hit going on over the head with. But she's standing there open for fucking ages. Yeah, yeah. The commentators are constantly pointing out that she's there for far too long. Yeah. She eventually hits him with it, Flair goes around, and then 
Instead of just like, I thought you'd get a lock in the figure for him because obviously your shoulders are down in the figure for the can. They can't, they can't count you even for a pin. How could the referee not see that his feet were halfway up the goddamn rope? I don't know why Flair felt need to put his foot on the ropes. You had her hit him with the shoe and it's helped you in the past war, so like, surely he should be not doing enough. Yeah, he's not going to need it. Because he didn't even like have like he put he sacks up the feet and then puts his foot on the ropes as you usually expect him to do. Uh, he's just lying on a regular pendant with his foot on the ropes, which doesn't have the same effect. So no, it just made him look awkward. It's not even on the bottom or middle rope. He's on his feet are on the top rope, so he's basically at a weird angle. So yeah. yeah, how does the ref not see that? Uh, it, yeah, how does the ref not see it? And it just made Flair himself look awkward. Because like I think it's just like it was maybe like basically trying to hit, hammer home all oh, this face is getting screwed out of his yeah, title. Yeah. But like you didn't need the foot in the rope thing, you could have just like had him get hit, hit by the shoe. Because he seemed him. knocked out anyway, or like or have him like stumble in because like he's out of it because he's got hit by the shoe. But he's still on his feet. Then you roll him up, yeah. And you have like your hand or your foot on the rope, but like don't have it way up there. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> no, but, like... but finish aside, I thought this was pretty good. No, it was a good match. But like I say, I didn't like the finish. Didn't like the outcome. And Bobby even continued continuity from like when he represented Flair in the WAF. So going the mental and Flair went, yes, yes, Flair's a champion. I don't suppose you know any history in regards to that. Did Conan ever win him back? Or? I don't know. I can't remember. I don't think he did. I don't. I know he would uh, going to be. I think he may have won the tag titles. I know he won the TV belt from Jericho at one yeah, point in ninety eight. But he would be a champion again in WWE. So he would stick around. He would even be a part of the NWO as well. Yeah. Like the original, and then he would splinter off to be part of the Wolfpack. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, pretty much everybody was part of an NWO at one point or not. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I know I said to you before, when I thought, when I looked at it, it was weird to think, especially after this point where Flair's already been a 13-time champion, yeah. to see him in anything other than the world title picture. And then what, going after the USA, you know, is like the second like top belt. Yeah. Actually, Flair has actually, I think, held this version of the WCW, this version of the US belt more times than anyone. He is, a, I believe, a six-time US champion. And I believe John Cena's held the WWE version six times, so Cena's held the, the WWE version of the US belt more times, but Flair's held the WCW slash NWA version more times than anybody. Mm. Although I think Lex Luger is the longest reign of this version because I think he held the NWA slash WCW version for 500-plus days. Damn. Whereas the longest in WWE for the US title was around 300-so days, so... Even then, the that mock was that Moxley. Yeah, right. Although MVP referred to himself recently as the longest reigning US champion, even though Moxley beat him yeah. record-wise. So also I think they're trying to they like no that that reign didn't happen. <laughs> I must say I'm really enjoying the whole thing between MVP and Lashley at the moment. Now he's teasing that either Apollo Cruz or Shelton Benjamin will be next because he he wanted to get. Apollo Crews on, like, he's like, I know something about keeping the US title, so you want my advice. Yeah. And then in this network, uh, YouTube, it's sort of after Apollo beat Shelton, I believe, a non title match, he came up to me and was, you know, if you stick with me, I can get you another shot this time for the US title. And I think of the two, I want Shelton to get a spot because Shelton's been criminally underused. Oh, he really has. I know. Occasionally popping up to remind you. Mind, mind he was pals with Brock Lesnar that one. Occasionally too. popping up to go, oh, I'm still here. <laughs> Oh, I I used to be Intercontinental Champion. You know the first, you know the best thing you can do first up, first like stop for MVP should be getting rid of that shitty music he's using and bring back his old music. Yeah, bring back the gold standard. I know. Yeah. Just don't bring back his mom. Okay, uh, 
similar to the uh, the title match. This is like or in the similar line, fifteen minutes thirty nine. This went. Yeah. Obviously, a flare match isn't going to go like too short oh. because like you got to have a decent line because flare was used to like almost that on a nightly basis going sixty minute draws. So yeah, flare's got the conditioning to go a long match, and that would be a round here where they have all like I can recognise the third man, but it's too muffled thing. And uh, now we have Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster, and the Giant taking on Arn Anderson and Chris Benmore. Yeah. Uh, the horsemen on the way to the ring get jumped by <laughs> Dungeon of Doom. And what's funny here is Sullivan attacks Anderson and then Giant a few seconds later hits uh, Benmore. How does someone the big show size sneak up on you? <laughs> Surely his boots on the ground have to make a hell of a sound when he's, when he's running behind you. Yeah. How... How bad did your hearing? Was the music that loud you couldn't hear the boom, boom, boom? That may have been it. This seven foot plus four hundred pound guy coming towards <laughs> you. Going, gar. I know. <laughs> and then Mongo comes out, hits Giant with a briefcase and gets chased to the back, yeah. allowing the horseman to beat up Sullivan two on one. So when the Giant comes back, he's having to stay in his corner, and the majority of the match is basically Sullivan struggling. To get to, get to the, the tag, but uh, Anderson and Ben are so technically sound that they keep cutting them off, and they they're really a good tag team showcase. Because you don't think good tag is you don't think Anderson and Benoit, but as a team, they work really well together. Mm. I'm pretty sure as the Horsemen, uh, the Horsemen have held like tag title reigns, but never these two. I think these two would make a good tag team. I'm pretty sure Benoit and Malenko won the tag titles with a part of the Horsemen, mm. and obviously. People remember when Anderson was in with uh, Tully Blanchard back in the old Horseman days. Mm. But never these two together in the Horseman one titles. But I think they've been a really good yeah, team. I've just seen that. Uh, anyway, so yeah, it's two on one. The Giant occasionally comes in. Mm. There's a bit where uh, Ben was just near their corner. So Giant just wanders on the apron and just puts his arm at close lines on. <laughs> and there's a bit where, you reach, where I think it's in the halfway point of the ring where Benoit's got him in like some abdominal stretch Sullivan and he reached out to a giant and the giant's arm's so long that he almost actually is able to reach him because he's that big so then they have to slowly move back towards the horseman's corner occasionally the giant would come in when he's not like legal posted. Aye. and then he comes he gets sent back out by the referee and then Sullivan gets worked over and then finally he gets the tag and there's a big reaction yeah. oh, the champions in the giant because they know as soon as the big seven footer comes in, it's probably over. Yeah. It's coming in. There's a point where he gets where Benoit jumps at him and he catches him and he just fucking throws him. <laughs> also, there was a spot before Sullivan gets the tag where it's looked very awkward. I don't know whose fault this was. Is it Sullivan or Anderson's fault? Yeah. More I'm more prevalently say it was Sullivan probably. Or Sullivan may <laughs> slingshot Anderson into the the top tower because I think Anderson they were going to go for like a spike pile driver spot. Yeah. So Ben was up in the top. Uh Sullivan counters, he goes to slingshot him. But Anderson doesn't get up right away. He had to awkwardly kind of shit up to his feet and awkwardly fall into the turnbuckle and knock Benoit down. Yeah. And it clearly did not look like it went right. So no. I don't know whose fault that was. But as soon as the giant comes in, Benoit walks right past him and continues brawling with Sullivan and leaves Giant and Anderson in the ring. Giant hits a choke slam, one, two, three, dungeon of doing one, no title shot for the horseman. Yeah, done. I don't think Flair cares, he's already got one belt. <laughs> so, the Horsemen are 50-50 for this night, because Benoit and Anderson lost, but Flair and Mongo won. Yeah. Uh, which is a weird sentence to say out loud, that Mongo True. won and Benoit and Anderson didn't. True. But, like, there's this prolonged fight. Like, Giant just walks to the back, doesn't even check on where Sullivan is, by yeah. the way. 
And then they brought back to the ringside area. Then we're properly putting the bits in. Woman comes out. Because I, I think it's already happened at this point, or they've already started it, but yeah. the feud where in kayfabe, Sullivan's wife, woman, is cheating on him with Benoit, and he stole her away. And then, I don't know if it's happened yet, really, but eventually life imitates art, yeah. and she marries Benoit. But like I say, though, look, ominous kind of thing that's on screen is Benoit and woman mm-hmm. being in the ring together, and you're like, you're like, if only she knew. And Benoit, like, saying in his promo, I believe, earlier on, saying he was going to leave Sullivan for dead. Yeah. And, and he's constantly putting bits down, and he's seeing Eleanor, and she's like, leave him alone, like, stop, you know, stop hurting him, and, like, he's yelling back at her, and then the giant eventually comes out to chase yeah. Benoit off. Oh, yeah, so, say, if only she knew. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure, like, if it started yet at this point, but I'm pretty sure it has, because the Dungeon of Doom, like, at least these two, Benoit and Sullivan, even after the Horseman Dungeon of Doom thing is finished, yeah. I'm pretty sure they continue their feeding. Sullivan is actually a big reason for Benoit leaving in 2000. Yeah. Because obviously the whole thing of him taking Sullivan's wife. Ah. Uh, and then Sullivan kind of takes over control for a brief while in the start of 2000 when Rousseff, when Rousseau goes home. Yeah. And Benoit felt like there was going to be bias against him because obviously Sullivan was still mad at how everything turned out with Nancy. Yeah. So obviously he left and his pals, Benoit, uh, Guerrero, Malenko and Saturn all supported him. Because mm. they were all equally sick of WCW and their their treatment, so they fucking fuck it, let's go to WWE. Yeah. Uh, so that was actually only seven minutes fifty nine that match went. I'm I'm happier about that to mm. be honest with you. And now the moment we've all been waiting for, with a uh, make big Michael Buffer mm. back again. I forgot to mention. I talked about how much money this guy got paid, and yet there were times where he still couldn't get shit right. A famous <laughs> clip from a uh, boxing where he's announcing Bret Hart. Was the reigning United States heavyweight champion, Brett Hitman Clark. <laughs> uh, so yeah, May 27th night drew uh, eight or so days apparently after the curtain call. Uh, I don't think that would have the same ring eight, you know. <laughs> Brett Hitman Clark. <laughs> but eight, eight days after the curtain call yeah. on the May 27th night drew, Scott Hall shows up, just interrupts the match. That's a thing. Basically, like you know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. That mm. everybody knows that. On where is it? Uh, Kevin Nash joins him on I think the tenth of June episode of Nitro, yeah. confronting which uh, of like this is where the big players play, huh? <laughs> and like we're in here to play, and then uh, Great American Bash they basically had to because all legal shit had to outright ask them, "Do you guys still work for Vince McMahon?" No. Mm. And then the uh, end same ends with Bishop getting powerbombed off the stage by Nash. Yeah. And then on the following Nitro, the uh, opponents for this match are selected via a random draw of Sting, Luger, and Savage. And the T is also the third man, but nobody knows who the third man's going to be. Yeah. It was a thing in the lead up to this, obviously, the outsiders were calling Chaos. Uh, they wouldn't even prefer to by their names mm. at, at stages. No, there's a point where they get like told to leave and they come show up with popcorn and tickets for the front row. <laughs> like, hey, we got tickets to see the big boys. <laughs> and uh, there's a point where after like the whole like the, the points for Bash Beach have been selected, they come out with baseball bats mm. and the roster half the roster comes out and the security guards separating them. And uh, Nash talks about how everybody's like, oh, that angle went really well. And like Nash went, you know, we just made your whole roster look like shit because two guys were able to walk in and hold off your entire roster with baseball bats. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't too wrong, to be honest with you. Yeah. So, Ashton Hall come out, 
Uh, they're all like, hey, where the hell is this third man? Like, don't worry, he'll be here. But I don't know why they allowed the match to start without the third man. Mm. And also, if you had heard the story, I'm pretty sure you have, but we'll, we'll talk about it again because it's important. Go on. The idea of uh, Sting was maybe the third man. I hadn't really heard that one, no. Yeah, I think... I don't know why, but Bischoff thought of the idea of Sting being the third man. I think he'd given up on the idea of uh, Hogan turning heel. Yeah. And I think because Dusty Sting had been a perennial babyface, the idea of him turning would be... You know, basically, it would be similar to Hogan, given that this guy has been a face for so long. Yeah. Turning heel. And also, he, the idea of him betraying WCW. And also, the idea of he, him... If it was one of the three in the match that turned, mm. the idea of it being a random draw and also Bischoff being the boss who... Was then revealed to be the the boss of the NWO, and then the random draw, and then turns out oh Sting or whoever who happens so happens to be the third man yeah. got selected. You know the idea of the the turn. If it if it had ultimately been Sting, mm-hmm. it would have been just that just as if not more so cool when it became. If it had been Savage, mm-hmm. it would have been shit. Because I think I don't I don't know I think he could have done times because like. The idea of he is a former WWE guy, much like Colin Nash. Yeah. Luger, I always wonder why these two, because like Sting's a perennial WCW guy. Luger, I get more so than Savage, because Luger started in the NWA WCW before going to WWE and then coming back. Going to WWE and basically getting fucked. Yeah, and then comes back. So yeah, he's particularly more so WCW than Savage, but I didn't get why Savage was spent defending on WCW only being the company for like a year and a half at this stage. Yeah. But like, I think it would be interesting enough because he is a former WF guy. Luger, I mean, the whole thing since Luger came back to the company was all mistrust because like, nobody trusted Luger like, when he tried to help against the Dungeon of Doom because mm. he would eventually join. And the whole story was maybe Sting was the only one who still believed in him. And like, there was a thing where Luger turned heel, but he team with Sting and he even won the tag titles where basically around Sting, Luger would act a good guy, but whenever Sting wasn't around, he'd be a dick. Mm. So like, there's a bit where they're coming out to the out. And they're all like they're next to you, like slapping hands with fans. As soon as thing turns away, Luger's like not even acknowledging man, like, ah, oh, shut up. And all that. as soon as mm-hmm. thing turns back, yay, slapping hands with fans again. So, like, he's putting it on for his pal, but really, he's like, mm-hmm. but particularly everybody else can see this guy's a dick. <laughs> so, if it revealed to be him, I don't know if it would be as shocking because everybody knows that you can't trust Luger. And yeah, I think Hogan only decided to be the third man. And we talked about, oh, Hogan had the sense to turn heel. Like, no, he didn't. He had the sense to realise there's money being made here. Yeah. These guys can make a lot of money. I like money. <laughs> he didn't do it because he thought, oh, my character's getting the deal. He thought, oh, I want to make more money. He went, money? Mm-hmm. Recognition? <laughs> Spotlight? Steal Monopoly over the world title. See myself rich <laughs> beyond my wildest dreams and never have to really work or put any effort in. Uh-huh. Wow, okay. Like, but, but the way the conversation goes, according to Bischoff, is basically it's a phone call from, from Hogan. Yeah. Because, like, Sting said he would have done it if, like, he asked him to, but he wouldn't have really been happy with it. Yeah. You know? And uh, so I don't like the idea of not, him not being injured probably wouldn't have been as effective, especially if he had to cut the same promo afterwards. Yeah. But Hogan basically phones up Bischoff and says, hey, yeah, man, have you uh, decided who the third man's going to be? And Bishop asks, like, well, who do you think the third man should be? Like, and Bishop uh, Hogan goes, I think you know the answer to that. <laughs> so Hogan was on board, but then he got a bad trepidation that like he was getting a bit cold feet, apparently. Yeah. Soon up to the day of the show, Bishop said to sing, Can I be ready just in case Hogan backs out 
to be the guy. Yeah. But Hogan eventually just went through with it. But we've got to talk about the actual match itself because the match doesn't get talked about. I don't think in ring wise it's the most there's much to talk about. I think this is a story driven match more than anything it else. It is because the in ring and I've got to complain. I and I and I see entirely by the what you mean a bit longer, by the way. Yeah, that was what I was going to point out. We get we basically get minutes into the match. And Luger gets in the way of... Sting goes for the immediate mm-hmm. like impact and he goes for a Stinger splash. Mm-hmm. Luger gets caught between him, the post and Nash. Aye. But Nash is kind of holding him there as well. Yeah, kind of. But like, it doesn't look like what happens should have put Luger on his arse like that, though. I know. You know. I think they're trying to say that oh, his throat was a crot against like, the metal yeah, and the yeah. drum but he wasn't. He, he's not selling the throat. He's acting as if he's got a major head injury. Yeah, he's acting as if he's been concussed or something. Because he's lying there lifeless. He's not even selling anything. He's just lying there dead. Yeah. So, You've been in the match for, like, what, three minutes and now you're gone? I don't even think it was more than that. Yeah. I don't even think he gave any offence. Right. And also, like, another thing I made a note of is uh, if it had been revealed to be Sting, that spot would have made a lot more sense, I think. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe they planned that spot when they thought Sting was. Because, yeah. like, the idea of. Sting accidentally take out his best friend. Yeah, the spot was planned for contingency. Mm-hmm, probably. Yeah. But I thought the idea was meant to be like, oh, now it's two and two, but like, what if their third man shows up now the outsiders are giving themselves the man advantage? Yeah, and then if it hadn't been Sting, Sting could have turned on Savage, boom, mm-hmm. ha, yeah. ha, ha, I'm evil. Yeah, because <laughs> Sting does get worked over a lot in the match, and so if Savage was going to turn, it could have been a very similar thing to the Flair Sting yeah. turn at Halloween Havoc, or... If they were going to have Sting turn, they could have done a slight swap in where Savage works most of the match. Yeah. And then Sting gets tied in and immediately betrays him. Because, like, then it's like a straight-up tag match after a, a really long, long segment of Luger getting taken out, which really kind of puts the brakes on this match. Yeah. The commentators do not hold back on how much they want to see the outsiders get their asses kicked. <laughs> no. Especially weird hearing Bobby Heenan, who I still think of as being a DAF guy, Mm. They're threatening our way of life here in WCW. Like, <laughs> what way of life? You know? uh, but yeah, it's more of a straight time match where it starts. Uh, there's a bit with Nash and uh, Savage. Savage goes to move it away from a from a Nash like elbow drop, but still gets caught in the head. Very, it looks like it looks very sore. Uh, and thing gets tied in. He gets worked over a lot, being the very good babyface that he is. There was a bit before that where uh, after Luger got taken out. Where Sting showed a, they talked about they didn't, they had never seen him so aggressive. Where he probably knocks Holiday's arse mm. and is laying into him like he's literally like fucking causing my best pal to get injured. <laughs> and then, but he gets worked over for the majority of this match. So by the time he tags in Savage and they're leading up to the finish, he's nowhere to be seen because obviously he's knackered Aye. because obviously he's been worked over so much. So Savage comes in, he's taking it to both members of the Outsiders, and then like so Hall's down, and then Nash. It's between Nash and Savage. Nash gets taken down with a low ball, so he's down. Yeah. And Nash is kind of standing there, and then the healer crowd roar, and out comes Hulk Hogan. Yeah, out comes Hogan looking. Something I hadn't, hadn't thought of here is it's weird. Hogan is a big part of the uh, the comeheads, but I don't know what he was doing at Great American Bash, but two months before this was uncensored, where the whole thing was this alliance to end him. So he's a big part of the company at this point, right? He's former world champion. He held it for like 15 months. Yeah. No Hogan match on this card. Like, did nobody going into this think this was a bit suspicious that Hogan was suddenly nowhere to be seen on this big card, which is so important for WCW? I get you. I know people may not be as cynical or reading like the dirt sheets as they were now. No, no, like, I, to- I totally get where you're coming from, but also, 
You what have you just said there? Hogan's this big hero at WCW, red and yellow, blah blah blah. Fifteen months held the title. Obviously, if he's one of the marquee guys or company, he's all immediately he comes out. People would go, ah, oh, Hogan's in the building <laughs> for some shit reason. <laughs> Here to save the day. So I mean, it's not going to look majorly fucking suspicious right off. Yeah, like Hulk Hogan's in the building. Like you hear the studio, like, go get him, Hulkster. Now, people say that this ruins it, and I heard apparently in some DVD and video versions afterwards that they edited out Bobby Heenan saying whose side is he on, but it's actually, they put it back in for the network version, so I heard it. No, it's on my video. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and somebody, I only really came around to this, because I, I used to think that Heenan spoiled it a bit, but uh, somebody pointed this out, and I kind of get this now, so my opinion on it's changed, that Bobby Heenan has never liked Hulk Hogan, yeah. or he's a face or a heel he never liked Hogan, so of course Heenan's gonna say that because, like, he, you notice that as soon as Heenan says, "Whose side is he on?" Yeah, Shivani and Dusty Rhodes kind of immediately dismiss him, thinking of that's just Heenan being Heenan. Yeah, what you talking His about? His usual Hogan like bias, because I also somebody pointed out that maybe he said that is meant to be construed as Bobby Heenan doesn't know who to trust anymore. Yeah, because of the whole dissension of who the third man might be, which it, which also in a sense makes. Sense. Some sense, yeah. Yeah. So Hogan comes in, and people forget Savage was involved here because again, talk about Savage getting overshadowed. Yeah. Like, people forget that Savage was the guy he turns on because the outsiders get run, look like they're running scared from Hogan. Everybody's cheering, eh, even though, but up until this point, people have been basically booing Hogan because they don't really care for the red, white, red and yellow thing anymore. Yeah, and the look on Hogan's face just before he drops that leg, uh-huh. he's like, oh fuck. Like, he looks so nervous about the fact he's about to... One leg drop is going to change the entire look of his career. I'm pretty sure he has said himself he had that feeling of, like, basically, I hit this leg drop, there's no turning back. Yeah, that was, that was the look in the face, because if you see, he goes up in the corner, and then he rubs his... Yeah. He he's kinda, like, he kind of shoves the referee right the way right before he does it as yeah, well. he's like, move, move, and then he's like, and then he just goes, right, fuck it, boom. And then, then he just kind of and you hear the reaction, the booze, and you... He looks a lot more confident when he hits the next one because like he hears their reaction, like they've got the reaction that they want. Yeah. And like the bullet they yell, he's the third man, he's the third man. <laughs> oh my Hulk Hogan has betrayed them. And I love how Bobby Heenan feels so justified in his hatred for Hogan all these yeah. like, I told you so I told you so And he hits it and like the trash getting thrown. Oh, the, I know it's like, what is the term? Nuclear heat. Mm-hmm. I think they're in 16 minutes or so this match goes and it's officially deemed a no contest but yeah. Hogan does cover Savage and they throw the referee out like surely you could have just had the referee count it because Hogan's technically a part of the match because he is the third man they've been yeah. building up Nash but, counts it doesn't he? I think Nash or Hall counts the thing I think because they're just taking a piss yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I mean Gene like, doesn't know what he's saying like Hulk going what are you thinking doing this and yeah. the people are throwing trash in the ring what's interesting this got edited out I think this is they, they kept in the who says them, but I think they may have cut this out of the network version. Well, the whole the whole bit. No, no, no. This bit I'm going to talk about because the, the promos there and all that. Like, they keep, they didn't show that there's a fan who tries to get in the ring at one point. But I didn't see that in my version. Did you see that on your version? I did. So yeah, there's, a, there's some fat guy trying to get into the ring, and Kevin Nash just fucking puts him in the heat to yeah. like fuck off. Like, fuck off, cunt. <laughs> yeah. And I think it just goes over again. Like, also, you shouldn't jump the, the bag and try and get them in at a wrestling show, but it shows how much they riled people up that people yeah. try to get at them. 
But like you say, but you shouldn't get in there when. Don't the... try and get into the ring when the wrestlers there, because the wrestlers will hurt you. I know, because like <laughs> like uh, Jericho said, like we are allowed to like kick fuck out of you, like yeah. once you've crossed that barrier, and all all fucking especially like you're three big guys. You got especially Nash, who's like seven feet tall. Like why are you gonna? Tr- what do you think you're gonna do to these guys? Yeah, Hogan's like what six three or something. These are all at six over. These guys are all over six five, I think. Yeah. So these are three big fuckers. You're not gonna do anything to these guys. Scott Hall's big, Nash is giant, Hogan's giant. They're fucking big guys. Yeah. So that happens, Hogan like and like, you need to tell these people to shut up if you wanna hear what I got. Yeah. So, all this trash here represents all you fans here and, and he basically talks about like how how did you not think it was gonna be like is this the organization that these guys came from I built that organization, yeah. and I got basically you feel like you got mistreated by him. Was I all these new guys in WCW, all these Johnny Come Latelys? I was selling arenas while you guys were still in high school. <laughs> and he basically he threw shit at the fans for basically everything he did for WCW since debut, and how they all yeah. basically gave him nothing in return. You can take their reaction and shove it. <laughs> and he calls them the New World Order of Wrestling. He also calls them the, the New World Organization. organization. He calls on that twice, by the way, and he keeps calling these guys the new blood. Yeah. Even though these guys have been around since at least the start of the decade, so they're not yeah. that new. And they've been in WCW before, and I think that was the whole purpose of like these two being part of it, because like, they'd been in WCW before, but they had shit gimmicks before going on to get proper recognition in WWE. Yeah. So the idea they were coming back to the company that had treated them wrongly, and they are basically, we're going to fuck you guys up, we're going to get our revenge and <laughs> tear this place down. And... So the trash is in the ring. Hogan, Nash, and Hall are like posing in the ring and yeah. basically like, basking in the heat. And Tony Schiavone, what's the from Bobby Heenan, Dusty Rhodes, I'm Tony Schiavone. Hulk, Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell. <laughs> you go is to it, hell. Is it what you say? Is it? He sounds like a fucking character for the King of the Hill. Like, Hulk Hogan, <laughs> you, you can go, go to hell. hell. <laughs> you go to hell. You go to hell and you die. <laughs> and this is a pretty sure the Nitro after this is the first Nitro of the eighty plus week winning streak. Up until post uh, Raw, not the one after Mania 14, the one the following week. Yeah. In April 98, that's the first one that they uh, have won in two years. So, yeah, this is where that wedding streak starts. And Hogan shows up the next so Nitro all in black. This is where they have that famous <laughs> clip of uh, the Lorne Dart of Rey Mysterio on the side of the yeah. trailer. 82 weeks of superior TV ratings and all it would take to destroy it. It was a bald guy with a beer. <laughs> so simple. Yeah. <laughs> if only they knew. If only. So, and then they start basically wanting to be so separate from, from WCW, which is why they dressed in black, why they did the whole, the following announcements paid for by the New World yeah. Order and the black and white promos. Uh, this don't don't need your sweet chin music. <laughs> don't need your best there was, is and always will be. Bald guy and a beer. Like, uh, I believe next pay-per-view, Hall Wild is where Hogan would defeat the Giant for the title. Yeah. And this would be his second, the second longest reign of the title. We were told it from Heatus until September 97, where Lex Luger would win it from one episode of Nitro, only for Hogan to immediately win him back at the following pay-per-view, mm. and then hold that till Starcade where that, that's great finish with Sting. Mm. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so yeah, this would be the start of the New World Order. And yeah. Back to the Beach 96, for the most part. So this 1996 Bash at the Beach would be the beginning of the immediately 
historic rise and fall of, w- of the WCW. But the thing is, like they started off, they started off the big win period for WCW. But the thing is, they knew how they wanted to kick off the New World Order. The issue is they didn't know how to end it. Yeah, that is the big issue. So for what this one they want to accomplish here, they did a good job. I think everything that happened afterwards, they just yeah. didn't plan it that far ahead. They just. I think the the success of it must have surprised even them. Probably. You know? I mean, who knew that something so simple as turning Hogan heel? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know there was a lot more to it than that. But you like, know? I thought about how the bio day here was decent for the time, and now they would be sort of a clip with that, I think, going forward and attendance-wise. There was nobody fucking papered. There's no giving away free tickets for these shows going yeah. forward because everybody wanted to come and see the New World Order. And Just to your knowledge... Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know in that period what would be WCW's biggest buy rate for a pay per view? I'm pretty sure it's Starcade '97. Starcade '97. What was that? I don't know the exact buy rate, but I'm pretty sure it's because of how well they built Sting Hogan. Like I'm pretty yeah. sure Sting wrestled one match in '97, and it was that match. Because mm. like the big, the uh, in September at the so say in August is uh, is Road Wild or Hog Wild that we call it. Yeah. They, where they have Hogan win the title and then Fall Brawl is usually where Wargames have so it's Hogan, uh, Nash, Hall and a, a surprise mystery partner uh, against Flitter, Arn Anderson, Lex Luger and Sting. So the idea of Horseman and like Sting and that all having to come together for the sake of WCW. Yeah. But they tease that, oh, Sting is the man who's going to join the NWO and they have this guy, a fake Sting, yeah. played by Jeff Farmer. Would be on become NWO Sting, actually a big deal in Japan. Yeah, would attack Luger and everybody thought Luger Sting has betrayed them. Yeah, and they wouldn't let Sting join them in their locker room at Fall Brawl. But then Sting came out and revealed, like, look, this is me. That is a guy. He's a fake. And he went, is that good enough for you? And he walks out of the war games and walks away from them, and lets basically the new team WWE get beat for the yeah. numbers advantage. Like even Bobby Heenan's like, Sting, we believe you. Come back. <laughs> No, like, no, I'm not playing anymore. And like Sting comes in the next day on Nitro, basically saying like, like how could you think I would betray like even like Luger, who's also he's the one he was the only one who believed in him. I was the only one who believed in you. I believed in everybody, and all only to get betrayed. And yet you guys can't trust me. And basically he declared himself a fage, and that started the whole transition from Surfer Sting into Crow Sting, mm. where he just keep appearing in the rafters and not wrestling for over a year before he had that match with, with Hogan. Was that part of a thing or was he struggling with injuries at the point? I don't think he know? was injured. He was just part of the storyline. He was part time. of the thing. But I think while he was away, he was going through some personal shit, mm-hmm. which I think is apparently what led that. And also while he was away, these personal issues stopped that him from... That like, become like make his, ta- his character a bit more dark. Well, no, I think he needed to be dark to kind of suit, suit, like, stand up with the changing times and suit, facing off mm. against end of the But like... I well, suppose because Surfer's thing probably would not have survived in that time period. No, definitely. This is the era like the anti-hero and all that's that. That's like, you say, like, Surfer's thing kind of comes for the wrestling mm-hmm. like, time period. Also, I suppose WCW's new gen period, I suppose. Because he was having some of these personal issues, and he, but because Bishop was asked about it in the Sarkin 97 episode of his podcast, but he wouldn't delve into what the issues were. Yeah, yeah. He felt like it wasn't his place. Yeah. But he said, like, but also because of these issues... He what Jim Sting wasn't always working out when he should have been, so he wasn't in the best shape. Yeah. So it's not as if he was away for a year getting in the best shape of his life. He was just away dealing with shit. Mm-hmm. And like especially apparently when he would show up, he would show up to your TV. So what am I doing? Or oh, you're appearing in the rafters during this segment, and then 
they were propelling in this segment and went okay and then he'd go off and sit by himself and then come back when it was his segment yeah so he wasn't really talking to anybody about what was going on with them at the time really socializing or getting which led to them changing whatever the plan finish was to some sort of reverse decision thing which then led to the whole fast count shenanigans but yeah do you know who came up with the idea of crow sting go on scott hall really Scott Hall is a big movie buff. Yeah. So also he watched Scarface. That led to the original thing. So he'd been in the movies to see The Crow. Yeah. And pitched the idea to Sting of the, taking inspiration from this character to be this new this like, darker version, version of himself. his character. And like that's the whole thing. Like Bischoff thought about how people thought about, oh, you guys kind of botched Bret Hart now. So like, Bret didn't have the same have interest in pitching alternatives to the ideas we gave him. Yeah. Like, Career-wise, he was just showed up because he didn't have much interest in wrestling anymore because he was better about the screw job. Yeah. So, like, people say about how oh, Hall and Nash helped kill Dewey Silver. He went, Hall and Nash were always there giving ideas. Like, yeah. And he used this example, like, Hall was the one who fucking pitched Crow Sting to Sting. Yeah. I mean, people always, like you say, criticise Hall and Nash, but... Yeah. Well, Hall and Nash had a good mind for like, the I've, business. I've heard... Nash particularly in shoot interviews and things and he talks about Bret Hart's attitude at times in the negative yeah especially like that one I've regaled you with many a time like when Undertaker and Bret were talking yeah. about their I've read the I've read the book match because yeah, I've read the book yeah. the, the, the and apparently Bret was bitching like a woman about the fact like oh I can't take the power ball it'll make me look weak and apparently Undertaker had never Raised his voice. Raised his voice to his and stood out of his chair and went, motherfucker, not everything's about you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know? Uh, we've talked a lot about what happens afterwards, but actually, yeah. we'll get back to it. Dark, Bash to the Beach 96, what would you say ratings wise? Thumbs up? Oh, I'd middle? say a thumbs up. I thought it was, it was a, it was not a fantastic pay per view. Oh, of course not. You know, but for what I know of WCW, it was pretty solid. Mm-hmm. And that, that cruiserweight match at the start alone, fucking solid. Fucking sensational. If you're going to watch one thing from this show, obviously you might want to watch the, the Hogan thing even though you've probably seen it already, but yeah. if there's one thing you haven't seen from it before, probably watch that Cruiserweight opener. So it's basically the bookend by great stuff because like you've got, the, got an iconic moment that we're still talking about today yeah. with Hogan at the end and open with a great Cruiserweight. So you're bookend with great stuff. No matter what comes in the middle, Yeah, that yeah. alone is a thumbs up, I think. That, yeah, if you want to watch that pay-per-view for wrestling... Mm-hmm. That first match will give you it and then some. You want to see how steep and steep of a decline it was <laughs> when we, until it gets to the point where we were at Starkey 2000. This is how steep a decline. The quality of this show compared to that show. Oh. Although, you see the Night common... day. You, you know, you know, you know it's the common denominator, don't you? The grosser weights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah. Oh. Oh, the cruiser weights. Ah, the you can't beat them. <laughs> <laughs> but what would you, Scott? Would you give us a thumbs up? I definitely would, yeah. I was thinking Melon Top, but then we have more thing about the Cruiserweight. The, I like the Dean Malenko match. I like the Flair match. How would you, what star rating would you give a Cruiserweight match? Oh, star rating. Would you say a five star? I think close. If not, I'd maybe say four and a half, four, four and, and three quarter. Because yeah. if not five, or maybe if I was going to give any negative about it, maybe it would, well, I was going to say the commentary, but that's not, with like Heenan, but that's not the guys in the vault's fault. Yeah. Maybe it's the fact that obviously Psychosis landed in his head a couple of times. Yeah, like, a couple of little watches. Little watches, but that's only the tiniest thing. So even, I don't know if even the netbits could take away from it being fast. Yeah, because I mean, in that kind yeah. of match, well, the way it was paced. Maybe I'd give it four and a half because a lot of times when five-star ma- matches are going five stars, it usually matches that are part of a feud that has a great story behind it. Yeah. Whereas these ones are basically like, you guys have wrestled a bunch of times. Go ahead. 
So my purely in ring wise, it gets four and a half because there's obviously no story behind it. Because like, yeah. you look at matches like Brett Owen, Taker, Michaels, and Cena Punk. They all had the big stories behind. That's yeah. why they all got five stars, not just because of the match th- itself. Yeah, even uh, Austin Brett. Austin Brett, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you're saying that, like, if like you say, if it had some story behind it, maybe even for a title. Yeah, because either they tell either they're continuing a story that's led up to the pay per view, or they're telling the story in the match itself. Yeah. Whereas this is basically let's show these people some things they've never seen before. Yeah, but for for what it was, if you're just looking at it as a match, it is phenomenal. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So like we've, I think we've got so much. I don't I think we're <laughs> going to start repeating ourselves if we haven't already. So I think it's time to wrap up there. While I we're, think so. Or we're still young. But yeah, <laughs> solid pay per view. Yeah. Definitely a thumbs up. Let us know what you think of it uh, on Twitter at Scott McLean, on Twitter at SP Rambling. Let, let us know if it's one you haven't actually watched all the way through, if you only know it for the, for the infamous moment. Yeah, like, other than the, uh, the moment at the end, what other than that would you say is, say is the best part of the three? Would you say it's the Cruiserweight match? Do you prefer the Flair match? I would definitely say the Cruiserweight match. Uh, so let us know on Twitter at SP Rambling. You can at, let me know at Scott McLean 1996 or on our Facebook page facebook.com forward slash round podcast where all the likes to our previous podcasts like the Starcade 2000 review uh, on all good Android podcasts it's Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, all the Android sites that we're on, we're all there. We're everywhere. And uh, a couple of weeks ago you may have heard us do catch up on some Frasier. Next week you're going to hear a similar thing where we finally finish season four and we're going to start season five. We're not going to start it in the best way but there's some good stuff to come later on in season five. We just had to get to this first episode. <laughs> and you're thinking, what's so wrong and bad about the first episode? Well, I'll let you know why I don't like it. I know Paul may may differ on my opinion. I may but, differ. I but, may. Maybe, but sometimes us differing in my opinion is, is good because we don't want to just agree all the time. That'd be boring. Yeah. I, I don't I don't have to be right all the time. Yeah, but... <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> but I think because we talked about the impact they would have and everything, and I know they would negatively affect WCW as well. I think we can't close this with any other theme song than that of the New World Order. Most assuredly. See see you guys next time. See ya.